0: On this episode of the Nostalgic Millenia- Salem, are you eavesdropping on our intro?
1: I'm a cat. I'm curious. So kill me. Look, I-, I don't want anyone to hear this episode before it's ready to launch. Hey, share. I
0: mean, he's a cat. How critical can he be?
1: You have no idea. Alright, fine, Salem. We're covering Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Let's get started. Can you wait till I finish my milk?
0: Welcome to the Nostalgic Millennial Podcast, where we will nerd out over the shows, movies, books, games, and more that made us who we are today. Prepare yourself for a return to the 1990s on the Nostalgic Millennial Podcast. It is September 27th, 1996, and you are just ready to turn on your favorite ABC network. What do you see? The premiere of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Featuring Melissa Joan Hart. Now you've probably just recently been watching Clarissa Explains It All on your Nickelodeon station, of course a favorite for everyone our age, and now Melissa Joan Hart has jumped from Nickelodeon to ABC, and we have the magical pilot of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. First episode is just simply titled Pilot, and we'll be reviewing that one today, going through scene by scene, and talking about all of the lines and antics going on in the Spellman household, and then later on we'll take a look at episode 6 called Dream Date. Going back to the cast, Melissa Joan Hart of course is a big draw at this point in time, and she's playing Sabrina herself. We also have her two aunts, and I think for a lot of people her aunts are a bright spot in the show, and their chemistry is just unbelievable really. We have Hilda, who is the younger of the ants, played by Caroline Ray. And we have Zelda, the older ant, played by Beth Broderick. The Spellman household is located at 133 Collins Road, Westbridge, Massachusetts. Unfortunately, Westbridge is a fictional town in Massachusetts, so it's not uh, a location that you could visit, per se. But uh, we'll be seeing later in the the show, we also meet a couple of other major cast members. Harvey, who is played by Nate Richard, and Libby, played by Jenna Lee Green. One other major cast member who we can't forget about, of course, is Salem, the cat slash warlock who has been cursed into cat form. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. Before we get into the first episode, I'd like to say that this was another favorite of mine. Anytime magic, witchcraft, any of these things are involved, I'm on board. And obviously, Melissa Joan Hart, knowing her from Clarissa, it was really cool to see her in a new series. This one, since it was in 1996, hit when I was nine years old. And it, this show centers around Sabrina's adventures in high school. So it seemed pretty grown up to me. It seemed like sort of the next level uh, of, of a show that I wanted to watch at that age to see all of these cool high school characters. Plus, you put magic into the mix. It's pretty much a winning combination. So before we jump into the first episode, I'll just throw it over to you if you have any initial comments.
1: Yeah, we're in the thick of Halloween with our episodes, uh, you know how much Matt loves <laughs> witches from our hocus pocus episode, and you know we've covered Clarissa, so you know this is a this was a perfect fit. We're kind of at the the end of Halloween, but we're still in fall, so it works out really well. This was a, a TGIF beauty, and so this was like a precursor to us watching something like Snick. Um, so this is a Friday night beauty, and yeah, I remember loving the show. I found going back, the writing here it was so tight, it was so crisp. We'll get into that, but I really enjoyed it. Just so many good lines, such good characters, and I'm, I'm excited to discuss that with you.
0: Now, you mentioned Hocus Pocus, of course, and, and if you have listened to the past a couple episodes, uh, you will have heard my whole uh, dissertation on Hocus Pocus uh, in that episode. There is a Hocus Pocus connection to Sabrina, which I will reveal later in the episode. So hang tight for that reveal.
1: I'm pumped for that. And I had mentioned about going to watch it. We're going to try to make it so you don't have to necessarily. Again, we're going scene by scene. We're going to include all the important dialogues. So that way you're, it's like you're watching the show, but we're going to offer our commentary along the way. We picked pilot because it's the first one, obviously called pilot. And then we picked episode six from season one the dream date and that was just a random one from season one because i i couldn't remember if sabrina was like a if it was episodic in the sense that they were connected it was a connected storyline or if it was something like a seinfeld where each individual episode could be different so it turns out it worked out really well it helps obviously to see them in order because you learn things about the characters but the episodes themselves have their individual themes again similar to clarissa actually where it's Connected themes, but not necessarily a storyline, like a Game of Thrones or something like that.
0: Episode one, the pilot. All right. So we open up with a shot of Sabrina's house, the Spellman house from the outside. Right away, I'm getting witchy vibes from this house. It it is pretty awesome. It's this old giant, maybe, I don't know, Victorian perhaps looking house. And it has these gables and towers everywhere. It's painted white, Uh, really beautiful setting for the show and being in massachusetts of course it puts you in mind of witches because of salem not necessarily the cat salem the town of salem but the cat of course sharing the name probably not a coincidence the first scene we go into sabrina's bedroom and we see that she is levitating she's asleep but her body is levitating up above the bed and her aunts quietly peek into the room, open the door, and Zelda, in particular, seems very excited about the fact that Sabrina is levitating.
2: Oh, look,
3: Hilda. She's levitating. Right on schedule.
0: She says that it's five minutes past midnight, and that they just had to check and see. Now, Hilda, right away, wants to wake her up and tell her something pretty important, and... Zelda decides, well, no, we should wait and maybe wait until morning and let her sleep because Sabrina is starting a new school tomorrow. And in this first little scene, we get a little bit of magic with that levitation, and that's really all that we have in this opening. It takes us right to the theme music. I'm a big fan of this theme. It's just a nice like rock tune, sort of, you know, puts you in the mood for it. This Sabrina is a very light hearted show. It's very fun. There's a lot of antics going on. It's not dark or scary in any way. You know, it's not a horror show. This is a comedy sitcom type of situation. In many ways, kind of like Clarissa, but with magic, essentially. Now, in these themes, uh, when the theme is playing, Sabrina is always in front of a full length mirror and she's normally changing outfits by just using magic. She just stands there and an outfit will cycle in and out. And I was listening to an interview recently where Melissa Joan Hart talked about how whenever they would do these effects, everything was practical effects. They didn't have any CGI of any type on the show. So if they were doing this sort of thing where someone was dressed one way and then had to come in in a different costume, They basically had to tape in where they were standing, try to exactly capture how they were posed at that moment. They would go do the costume change. When they would come back, they would actually have to direct them to try to get into that exact position that they were in with the previous outfit. So they'd have to tell them to sort of move their finger an inch this way and move their shoulders up this way or that way, left or right, just a tiny amount to try to match it up as closely as possible. So these were actually fairly painstaking scenes to film, which I thought was fascinating. I never really thought about the nitty gritty of doing practical
1: effects with magic. Now, I saw the intro the first time and then just basically skipped it after that. Does that change is it a different set of costumes in each episode?
0: Yeah, it is. It's it's a unique thing to each episode. And normally she has, like, a different uh, line that she'll say at the end. Like, in this one, she goes through at the end, she turns into where she's wearing, like, a typical witch's outfit with, like, a pointed hat and everything. And she says something like...
3: This is so not me.
0: And then in the Dream Date episode that you have later, she eventually turns into a kind of, like, 1960s, like, hippie sort of outfit. And she says, feeling groovy, far out. So, depending on the episode, yeah, she has different costumes. So, continuing on, uh, we head downstairs. And... Now it's the morning, and Sabrina's coming down the stairs. She's carrying a cat with her, who we learn later on is Salem. And she sits down for breakfast with her aunts, and they have a present for her. Now, we know it's her birthday, but what we may be aware of already that Sabrina is not is that, in fact, because she has turned 16, that means that she is a witch, and now her powers are starting to show themselves now that she's 16 years old. So Sabrina opens up the gift, and it's a black pot, she says, uh, which actually, of course, is a cauldron. Now, Sabrina is not too excited about this. Um, She sort of pushes it aside and seems a little confused. And her aunts start to tell her,
3: Sabrina, we have something to tell you. You see, there are two realms, the natural... And the supernatural. And it turns out that the immutable laws of You're a witch! (laughs) What do
4: you mean I'm a witch? You're a witch!
0: She's a witch. They just straight up tell her, you're a witch, you know, you need this cauldron now. We learn in this scene that Sabrina's father is actually the witch, and her mother is a mortal woman. That comes in a little bit later as well. That's why she's with her aunts, because her aunts have been tasked with Raising her, essentially, as a witch. Now, Sabrina totally doesn't believe it. She thinks it's a joke. She says, nice try. I'm not falling for this. And she goes off to school. As she's on her way headed out to school, she makes a comment about how her aunts are really pretty weird. And we hear Salem the cat say,
2: You have no idea.
0: But Sabrina doesn't hear him. And she still doesn't realize that this is all true. Now, my first impressions of the scene, I like how it just sort of lays it all out right at the start. You don't have to wait to find out that she's a witch. You know, they just go right to it. I will say that it's kind of funny that her aunts, they don't try very hard to convince her that she's a witch. Like, all they would have had to do would be to, like, cast a spell, right, or ask Salem to talk but they don't do any of that they just tell her and then when she doesn't believe them they just let her leave and go to school hilda yells out at her to be careful not to point your finger or make any weird gestures or anything and sabrina obviously does not believe it so she leaves and goes to school with these powers so it sets us up for some good comedy what do you think about the ants here
1: yeah, I think that's why. It just sets it up because she's oblivious to her powers, and so she unintentionally is going to be doing some funny stuff with her spells. In terms of the ants, yeah, I was I was curious. One thing Hilda said...
3: And I suppose my mom's a witch, too. I always thought so.
1: Actually, your mom's mortal. Is that she always thought Sabrina's mom was a witch, implying that she was just like a a mean person, so... Is that something that we're going to learn later on in the episodes that we cover? Because that seems like a pretty bold thing. I mean, that's her sister, right?
0: So Hilda and Zelda are related to Sabrina's father because they're also witches. So that's the the mother is through marriage. And I'm but I what I don't know is what you said about if we learn about the mom more, because Like, I definitely watched this show a good bit when I was growing up. And I specifically remembered the pilot episode. I remember being really young. It was probably right when it came out. And I remember watching the pilot episode. So a lot of this, like that first scene with the cauldron in the kitchen, I remembered that perfectly from a long time ago. But I don't really remember how far through I watched the series. Because at one point, it starts out on ABC, but... It runs on there from 96 to 2000 and then from 2000 to 2003, it moved over to the WB and I don't know what all happened with that. So maybe this is something we'll discover if we revisit episodes later
1: on. Another thing is this whole age thing with witchcraft. So I wanted to ask you about that because we, I encountered, we, we encountered this in the Are You Afraid of the Dark episode with the setter Wind and everything about at a certain age, they assume their powers and then before then just nothing? Is there a reason for the age? Is, is it like the age of reason that a witch hits or, or something like that where they're not born with the powers?
0: You know, I don't have a, like a solid answer on that. My guess is that it has something to do with kind of like a coming of age, you know, 16 sweet 16. It's always sort of like an important year. I think especially for girls, like it's an important year. So I don't know. I think it's just sort of this idea of maybe the powers, Require some degree of maturity before they manifest, but I don't really know why. Yeah, I'm not sure.
1: I mean, it it seems like maybe it's something like puberty for a way like a witch where it's like you kind of change substantially. That's that's my best guess. One other thing. So she so she hits 16. She's a witch, right? So she can basically do whatever she wants, ostensibly, right? Why is she going to school still? I mean, I'm thinking like Harry Potter. We're going to Hogwarts. We're, you know, we're living in this other realm. Why is she still going to school and just pretending things are normal? I mean, obviously, technically she doesn't know yet that she's a witch. She thinks they're kidding, but these ants like just let her go to school. And they later on say, she still has to go to school when she finds out. But what were your theories on why she still had to go to regular school? Cause I would think like, Hey, I'm free from this. I don't have to live the life of a mortal because I can literally create and do whatever I want. That might
0: be something that they answer later, but I'm not sure that they ever establish that there are schools in the other realm. I'm not sure if, like, a Harry Potter... I don't know if, like, a Hogwarts structure exists in Sabrina's world. I don't know if there's some answer in the comics, maybe, because these are based off of Archie comics. Sabrina is a spinoff character from Archie comics. Maybe there's something in there about it. The way it's presented in the show is that her answer just basically like, you need an education, you have to go to school. And so, I don't know. I think a big part of it's probably the relatability element. Like if we're talking like not in story, but like meta, like for the production of the show, they probably wanted it to be Melissa Joan Hart in high school because they wanted to create that kind of sitcom environment. And, you know, if they they took the magic into the other realm, then it wouldn't cause all these crazy hijinks, like, but since it's in a mortal realm, Sabrina does this stuff, and then it totally screws up everybody's day, because magic's not supposed to exist, which we will see with Libby as we get a little bit further in. So Sabrina's on her way to school, and when she arrives there, we find out this is her first day, and she's new, At the very beginning, when she first enters into the hallway, she looks into a classroom, looking in through the the glass window that's in the door, and she sees a guy standing there who looks back at her. This guy, of course, will prove to be Harvey. But as they're looking at each other... The teacher opens the door from the inside and ends up slamming Harvey in the face with it, which is a pretty fun little uh, comedic moment. And it turns out that this teacher is named Mr. Poole. He is the biology teacher. And he goes right in on the very first day into a frog dissection.
1: And I know you were hoping I was going to spend the day mispronouncing your names, but instead let's just jump right into biology, huh? The frog... Is a cold-blooded vertebrate,
0: And he tells everybody to partner up. Harvey is about to ask Sabrina to partner up, but Libby swoops in and says, and I should say, Libby, of course, is the popular girl in school. She's your classic cheerleader, mean girl character. And she swoops in and asks Harvey.
2: Harvey,
4: I'll be your lab partner.
0: So he has to go over with her. We'll see that Harvey's not great at saying no to things, and he ends up going over with Libby. So then, thankfully for Sabrina, uh, one of her friends, well, someone who becomes her friend, Jenny, comes over to her table and asks to partner with her instead. Jenny says that she used to be new, and she knows what it's like. And she has this interesting quote where Jenny says,
4: I don't want to fit in.
0: I thought that was cool because her character is sort of, doing her own thing, she's very, like, has her own vibe, and she's not worried about being one of the cool kids. Well, while they're about to start this this dissection, Sabrina accidentally gestures at the frog, and we see a little bit of magic go out from her finger, it hits the frog, and it brings him back to life. The frog, I will note, was named Tadpole by uh, Jenny and Sabrina. And so now Tad Poole is jumping around the classroom. The teacher looks a little bit miffed. He says that he's going to have to, you know, make sure that uh, his frog supplier hears back from him. That takes us into another scene in the bathroom. But before we go there, I just have to say, as a teacher, who is this guy? Who does he think he is, this Mr. Poole? On the very first day, he goes right into disse- dissections. That is not like a, a normal uh, lesson planning strategy. They have no knowledge. They haven't gone through safety, like lab safety, any precautions you would have to know to use equipment in the lab. And then he doesn't even like call roll or say anybody's name or try to get to know anybody. He just immediately launches into what nowadays is actually a fairly controversial kind of lesson, doing dissections. You know, you can actually, in many cases, if you object to doing that kind of thing, you know, get an alternative assignment where you do like a virtual dissection. And um, I guess maybe in the 90s that wasn't the case. But Mr. Poole, I think, you know, he thinks he's being real... Real slick here by starting right in with a hard lesson. I wouldn't do that, though. Just just a word to the wise.
1: No, he's... he's see, I, I saw it differently. I mean, he is so jaded. He is so fed up being a teacher. He's done. As we dissect this amphibian, we'll be looking for the kidneys, the heart, and my lost youth. He's just done. He's like, forget it. I'm tired of doing the name call, getting to know these kids, they move on. Let's get to the nitty gritty. And that's what he does. And I remember doing frog dissection. And basically, I just, I I teamed up with the smartest kid in the class (laughs) and let him do it. I was like, I'm not touching the frog. I'm not dealing with that at all.
0: I think you're right uh, about, yeah, those, those comments he makes. So you see this a lot whenever you are teaching for a long time, because I've been doing it for a disturbingly long amount of time, because it means that I'm getting fairly old. And basically you do get people that burn out like that and all they care about is just getting through the day, so maybe that's kind of where he's at on there. Now, thankfully, as to the frog dissection, I never had to do one. I was, I was never in a class where it was mandated to dissect anything, actually. And I would refuse to do one if it was me now, because I'm a vegetarian, so I'm not really too happy with the idea of it's like having dead animals to dissect for some reason, but Anyway, I think that, uh, yeah, Mr. Poole, no, not the best impression. Now, Jenny, I think, makes a good impression. I like how she's nonconformist. What are your thoughts about the mean girl and her designs that she has on Harvey?
1: Obviously not a fan of Libby here. I want to focus on Jenny, though. I'll start off with this. This is a brilliant scene in Sabrina because they show Harvey. And though he's going to be with Sabrina... And it's nerdy and cute. The first scene of Harvey is him as a heartthrob. You know, he's got the long, flowy hair. It's like the Jonathan Taylor Thomas type hair. My wife said basically like anytime a guy in the 90s had that hair, you knew he was the heartthrob. And he was, and he he has even some music. And so he's a a good looking guy, right? That's what we see at first. And then as you mentioned, he gets hit in the head with the door, which is hilarious. And you were laughing. But that's kind of Harvey's character, right? He, he's nerdy, too. He's he's silly. He's, he's not just this, like, jock alpha male character that we're led to believe just because he's good-looking. And that's how he's able to work out with Sabrina. And I thought that scene was just so brilliant because this is the pilot. You know, they're trying to establish the characters. It's easy to make someone like Libby exist because it's like, oh, she just has to say something mean. But to make somebody a heartthrob who can connect with both Libby and Sabrina and do it in about a five-second scene, they nailed it, man. They nailed it. And so we have the heartthrob. That's what Libby connects with. He kind of maybe think he's the quarterback of the football team based on later scenes that we'll talk about. But to have that little scene connect so hard with who Harvey is as a character is amazing. Going on to a discussion with Jenny. She mentions so you talked about her not fitting in. She makes a statement that I wanted to ask your thoughts about. She says that,
4: I researched it, and awkward people tend to be much more successful later in life. I look at Libby, I see tragedy.
1: And she actually points to Libby and saying Libby's a tragedy. Now, she's the most popular kid in high school. She's the cheerleader, as you said. And yet, here's Jenny saying that Libby is the tragedy. Do you believe what Jenny's saying about awkward people being more successful in life? Do you believe that somebody like Libby is going to be less successful? What are your thoughts on on that statement?
0: That's a tough one because it depends on how you define success. I would say that I tend to agree with Jenny because it otherwise would mean that I would be a failure uh, because I am somewhat of an awkward person. But I think that it really depends on what you're looking at. I think if you're looking at career. If you're going to become some kind of scientist or like some important figure if, awkward people a lot of times are those people you know they're great maybe they're into technology they like programming stuff like that like it's stereotypical but i mean in many cases a lot of those jobs they pay a lot of money and they you know people who are sort of awkward socially might get into those sorts of fields someone who's like libby She might have some kind of success in in a way of just trading off of her popularity or being congenial whenever she wants to be. But, of course, there's always that negative, mean girl side to her personality that could come back to bite her, too. So, yeah, in general, I'd rather be the more awkward, nerdy kid in high school than... Even the quarterback, you know, because I think that a lot of times people like that, they kind of hit their peak early, which isn't really good long term. That, that's all a stereotype, but I think in general, you know, I'd agree with it.
1: What are you thinking? Yeah, I like your point about depends on the career, because I think what Jenny's talking about is basically if you're awkward, you may still have a hunger for success. Whereas if you peak in high school and you're super popular, maybe you, you're you fine with that and you're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to be fine later on in life. But like your popularity in high school is based on things that have nothing to do with real life. Whereas if you're awkward like Jenny and maybe you're a geek in science, you know, you're, you're maybe developing actual skills that will help you later in life. But at the same time, someone like Libby will have an advantage based on career, like what you said. So you know if she's selling insurance or real estate things that involve being popular and dealing with people she could be a successful business person now she's not going to be maybe doing research you know behind behind the scenes or a computer programmer but there are lots of skills where finding a way to be the most popular kid out of 1200 2000 kids those skills can translate even though they're not necessarily tied to a tenable skill the skill itself of being able to be affable towards the vast majority of people can still translate. And then I, I hope with someone like Libby, she ends up maturing, you know, in terms of her bullying and she just maintains the social aspects as to what made her successful in high school. And that completely translates to a lot of different careers after. Um, so I think, I think it really does depend on like what you said, the career and kind of how you measure success And if you're talking about making money, I think Libby will be very well suited. And I think Jenny will be very well suited based on their career paths.
0: Libby would make a great politician. And I mean that as an insult, but I, I think that she, you know, people who are a little bit sociopathic, a little bit willing to step on people, they tend to do really well in certain careers. And. That's actually a statistic that I've seen. I don't have it in front of me, but essentially that people who are like that tend to, in many cases, end up in high-level positions, like in charge of companies and char- or elected into politics, because they don't have that same kind of conscience that most people do. So um, you never know.
1: Her ability to win favor, no matter the cost, <laughs> translates to any position involving votes. And that could be anything from a political position, like you said. It could be even a CEO position where the board's voting for you, her ability to manipulate people to liking her, that's going to translate, you know, and whether or not that's good for society is a very different question. <laughs> so in the class, basically the teacher says, pick a partner and no one gets up. Then the teacher says, or I could parry off by height. Thank you. (laughs) And then suddenly everyone gets up like it's some it's it's some bomb to blow up all this participation. Like, was there something special about that that triggered this participation? Because I couldn't understand what was so special about that qualification to have everyone freak out.
0: Yeah, I don't know. The picking by heights a little weird, but I, I think that typically kids don't want the teacher to pick their partner. So I think that any threat of the teacher doing that will motivate them to try to find somebody that they want to be with because they're afraid they'll get stuck with, in Libby's case, probably afraid she'll get stuck with some nerd or something or somebody they don't like or whatever. So, I mean, Sabrina's new, but the other ones aren't new. So I could see if it was a class of all freshmen who didn't know each other, but If you have friends in the class, I mean, teacher says to pick a partner, people are up and moving right away. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess that was what they were going for. So now we move on into the bathroom scene. Uh, Libby is in there at at the sink with a couple of her squad members, these sort of hangers-on of Libby, who were henchmen, if you will. I
4: just wanted to wash my hands, you know, frog juice. (laughs) You know... If you stink, I'm not sure it's fair to blame the frog.
0: Sabrina says,
4: Well, at least I don't splash on aftershave to remind me of some boy who dumped me last summer. How'd you know that?
0: Libby is taken aback. She's like, how do you know that? Of course, we realize it's because of Sabrina's magic, but Sabrina doesn't know that. She just somehow has imparted this knowledge. Libby reacts to this pretty badly. She says, you can use the freak's bathroom from now on. And so as Sabrina's leaving, she does a little hand gesture, sort of, to make fun of Libby behind her back. And again, we see the magic fly out and hits Libby. And pretty soon, as she's putting on her lipstick, she just starts scribbling it all over her face. And she can't control her hand, and she's just painting lipstick everywhere. And then we cut away from the bathroom. We return back to the Spellman house Her aunts have decided to throw her a surprise party. One little detail I love is that Salem is wearing a little party hat, so that's pretty cute. They give her an old book, and when she opens the book, it has a picture of her dad inside. His name is Edward, Edward Spellman, and the picture attempts to speak to her. It says that he's in a different realm, which helps to explain why he's not the one raising Sabrina, but... Sabrina doesn't believe it again. She's like, man, you guys really committed to this joke, and she closes up the book. As Sabrina's ready to kind of storm out of the room.
4: So what are you saying? That I'm not who I think I am? You're not who I think you are? And my father lives in a book? (laughs) Finally,
2: she gets it. This
4: is insane. I'm going to my room. Come on, Salem.
2: Can you wait till I finish my milk? (laughs) Did the cat just talk? Yes.
0: So now Sabrina has some proof that something crazy is going on. And the book follows Sabrina. Like it follows after her. And it's screaming at her to, please open me up, Sabrina, open me up. I have to talk to you. Sabrina freaks out when she sees the book hovering in front of her. She lets out this blood-curdling scream. <laughs> and finally, she decides to listen to what's going on. Uh, Sabrina has a little bit of a protest where she says, I don't want to be special, I want to be normal. And her dad tells her from inside the book, again, his, his picture tells her that he is in a foreign service. Uh, in other words, he's way off in this other realm doing some kind of work where he can't be there. And her mom, we learn, is off digging for fossils in Peru. We get a little explanation about why her mom can't be there And we are told that... You see, there's a rule. If you set eyes on your mother in
2: the next two years, she'll turn into a ball of wax. What? It's the way they discourage mortal witch marriages.
0: Now, we find out that this was because it was a measure meant to discourage marriage between mortals and witches. So, as Sabrina has come of age, she cannot be around her mother anymore. But we also find out That her mother and father are in fact divorced. So lots of backstory here. One thing that I wanted to mention about this scene. So I told you I had a Hocus Pocus connection that I would drop in here. Salem the Cat. In some scenes is played by real cats. But in other scenes he's played by an animatronic cat. Let me ask you this. Have you seen this cat before? His name, of course, was Thackeray Binks. This is the same animatronic cast from Hocus Pocus. They reused it for Sabrina. So I love that. That's great. My favorite thing, we have a connection into Sabrina from that. One other thing I wanted to ask you about. Sabrina has this moment when she finds out about being a witch, which I quoted before. She says, I don't want to be special. I want to be normal. I don't think I would react that way. I would wholeheartedly embrace having magic powers. That would be, like, the greatest thing that could happen to you. Do you think this would be a, a
1: normal reaction? No, but, you know, she's 16, starting off in her new school. I think she just wants to fit in, you know? And that's before knowing she's a witch. So now she's like, I, I'm trying to fit in. I'm trying to be normal, and now I'm a witch. I'm never going to fit in. Never going to have friends. I don't know. I, I never... You know, I never went into a situation like hers where I'm, like, transferring... 16 is like, what, a... It's probably, like, a sophomore or junior in high school where she's transferring in and wanting to just, you know, fit in. I've never been in that situation where I'm completely alienated and, and trying to throw myself in. So I think she's there. And, I, again, I also think she does not yet realize the extent of what it is. I think she's still trying to come to grips with the fact that she's she's a witch as well. But yeah, of course, I I mean, dude, I mean, we talked about it in the Harry Potter episode. I mean, that was the dream, man. I mean, the dream was always you could be special and be different, you know, stand out from the crowd. Who wouldn't take the letter to Hogwarts? You know, everybody would. So for her to be reticent about this, very strange. And thankfully, she does change her mind. I think it's
0: an interesting contrast because... And again, you know you wouldn't expect the writing to be this sharp in what is essentially a sitcom that was aimed at probably maybe middle schoolers, you know younger kids you know, or maybe even high schoolers. but in the scene we talked about just now, her friend Jenny had that whole thing about not wanting to fit in, and now Sabrina is saying that she does want to fit in, so it's an interesting dichotomy there.
1: And that's, what's beautiful about the show. It, at least in these two episodes is that we can discuss that because you have clearly different characters and how they approach life. And it gives you some good thought. It gives you good thought, good discussion about, do you want to be a Libby or a Sabrina? Do you want to be a, a Jenny or do you want to be a Sabrina? Do you want to be a Harvey? These are the very fleshed out characters with unique traits that I love going back to the bathroom scene. I will say as much as I don't like Libby, I kind of connected with her as as to her wearing the cologne, right? Because you know she she had this heartbreak in the summer and she wants to remember her ex, and it just took me back. Thankfully, a happy story. But when I was long distance with my wife, I did the same thing. I had some of her perfume, Calvin Klein Euphoria, and I would dabble that on every now and again to smell it, so I could I could remember her scent. So I kind of like I kind of felt bad for Libby a little bit, but of course it's Libby. So it's like, you don't actually care about her.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they they do things like that every now and then to humanize her some. And I think that's smart because you don't want the mean girl character to be completely unrelatable. I'm glad that they dropped in that little bit of backstory that shows that there's sort of the sentimental side to her and that she's not a complete sociopath, like that she actually has these... Relatable feelings toward this ex.
1: Now, also in that scene, we do learn Sabrina is able to read the minds of people. We talked about the desire to have these these powers, right? Would you want to be able to read people's minds?
0: No, I don't think so. How awkward would that be? I don't know how you could have an authentic relationship with somebody like having that sort of power over them. Or they don't have the ability to hide something from you. That would be really weird. Unless it's something that she can turn on and off, which I think it is. She's not constantly hearing people's thoughts. But I guess in this moment, because she was angry at Libby, maybe it kind of like popped on. Because what we do learn is that she doesn't know how to control her powers. And we're going to see that in the next scene so I guess if you could choose not to use it, it would be okay. But that would be a te- big
1: temptation, though, as well, to have to fight against all the time. Yeah, and because I don't think people's thoughts make the make the person, right? I mean, it's, it's also their choices, too. This kind of t- took me back to Witcher 3 with Yennefer, where she can read Geralt's mind. And part of me, like, took solace in that, that Yennefer knew everything Geralt thought, and yet still she wanted to be with him. And I was like, that's kind of cool. But at the same time, it's like for him not to have any independence, you know, any autonomy in that. No way. I would never want to know what people thought. You know, to me, I understand people can be duplicitous and lie, but that would just drive me crazy. Because there would be no, I don't know, that's the human experience is like your thoughts versus your actions. And to remove that, to me, it, it would just be removing humanity. I mean, it's like that's the human experience.
0: Now, we head downstairs, and Sabrina is going to try to learn how to use her magic. She is she's ne- has no ability to control it at this point. And they start with what they say is, an e- her aunts say, is an easy exercise. They want Sabrina to change an orange into an apple.
3: All right, let's start with the basics. Orange into apple. Now you concentrate and point.
0: And she blasts it with her magic. Unfortunately, it turns into a pineapple, which Zelda says is close. It's an apple. It's a pineapple. Hilda thinks that it's not even close at all. And we end up going through this montage of the scene where at the end, the kitchen is just filled with pineapples. We hear that there are actually 23 pineapples now. This is the 23rd attempt, Sabrina mentions. And we see Hilda kind of off on the side juicing some of these pineapples so they're now just filling up the house there's a line in the scene where sabrina mentions that her aunts had told her to be careful pointing at people uh and hilda points at sabrina and says i have the safety on so apparently there is some control that she has not learned yet now the next morning after this failed pineapple experience The ants are still down in the kitchen eating the pineapples, which I appreciate the sort of running joke that they developed there. One thing that Sabrina is hoping to do, because she's late for school, is to turn back time. Uh
3: Uh-uh. No. A witch can't change time. That's one of the rules. You're kidding. Nope. Gotta go. You also can't get rid of cellulite!
0: Uh, We don't hear it here, but there is a rule that gets established later on in the series that I remember. Where witches can summon any product that they want, but it has to be off-brand. They can't summon name-brand products. So if they want a Pepsi, and they summon a Pepsi, they get something that's called like a Popsy, or something like that. So Sabrina has to rush off to school, and we get this interesting joke from Jenny. She says, knock-knock. Who's there? Brad. Brad who? Brad Pitt. Is there any other Brad worth mentioning? And I guess at this point, Brad Pitt was right off of the movie seven, which came out in 1995. So big, big time for Brad Pitt here. I will say probably a hot take. I don't get the Brad Pitt worship, not into the alpha male types myself.
1: I was going to ask you that question, right? Mm -hmm. She says, you know, what other Brad is worth mentioning? What Brad would you mention? Now let me say, for for example, to give you some time to think of, <laughs> my first thought for whatever reason was Brad Renfro, who's like a he, he passed very young due to drug issues, but I remember him from Tom and Huck. That was the first Brad that, that came through my mind. Now Tom and Huck's a great Disney film uh based on Huckleberry Finn, but that was his name, you know, starring alongside Jonathan Taylor Thomas. That that's what popped into my mind. So what what Brad comes to your mind. Um, that would be in the 90s, because, you know, you have Bradley Cooper now. We're talking 90s.
0: I've got it. Brad Garrett. Brad Garrett. He was Ray's brother in Everybody Loves Raymond. That's the first one that came to mind for me, other than Brad Pitt, because obviously he's the Brad you think of.
1: Yeah, that's not bad. I, 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 Yeah, I didn't know that name offhand, but not bad.
0: Yeah, I mean... Maybe he doesn't match the heartthrob level of Brad Pitt, but he's much funnier, I will say. Now, after this Brad knock-knock joke, we go off to history class, and it's actually as they're leaving history class, we sort of see Jenny and Sabrina going out and it looks like they didn't do too good on the quiz. Sabrina says,
4: I mean, how are we supposed to remember things that happened so long ago?
0: And then, out of nowhere, someone yells, Heads up! up!" And a football smashes Sabrina right in the head. Libby walks by just in time to call her a freak. And that takes us to lunchtime. In the cafeteria, Harvey actually asks to sit with Jenny and Sabrina.
4: Can I sit here? Sure. How's your head? Um, it kind of
2: hurts. Sorry, you know, I, I didn't mean to hit you with the football.
4: Oh, that was you? You have a really good arm.
2: <laughs> Thanks.
0: Harvey is, of course, the quarterback, like we mentioned before. And this was an accident. He didn't do it on purpose. Libby invites Harvey to a party right before Sabrina can have a chance to ask him to do anything. And so now Harvey says yes, because once again, he says that he doesn't have a very good uh, ability to say no to people. Right after Libby gets Harvey to agree to go to the party, she spills a drink on Sabrina on purpose, of course. And this causes Sabrina to just go Super Saiyan because she gets up winds are flying everywhere people are ducking under tables stuff is flying around the cafeteria and she points at libby and turns her into what else a pineapple so sabrina freaks out runs up and grabs the pineapple slash libby uh, picks her up and runs out of the cafeteria by some miracle no one else has seen this happen though because they're all ducking under the tables And now she's on her way home to figure out what to do with this
1: pineapple Libby. See, I got lots of problems here. Because it's like, the ants, they're instructed with teaching her magic. There's no school, no Hogwarts. And basically, they're like, yeah, just don't point at people. Like, what is the, the lore behind magic? So, like, with the frog, before she pointed her finger at the frog, she said, I wish there was some way to bring him back to life. So it kind of implies, like... You have to have a frame of mind, maybe say some words. The ants basically say you could point. So some of it's like you just point your finger. Some of it's you think about it and you do it. We saw that in the bathroom scene. Some of it is you say some words. There's also a book that has spells. Like the book that her dad gave her has spells that we learn with it. So like, how does she cast spells? I mean, how does this happen? How have the ants not explained this to her? they just threw her out there and then lo and behold, she's turning a girl into a pineapple and, you know, casting some kind of a a weird storm in the school. Like what is going on here? How have they not properly informed her? I mean, is there any cohesion here with the spells?
0: Well, I think normally the spells in the show, normally people point when they cast a spell and then the magic goes out. And I feel like the words might not always be necessary. I think it's sort of like, your intention or will is what sort of fuels it. And then maybe sometimes words or spells could, could help with that. But Sabrina doesn't know any of that. And she, her training was not going well with the pineapples in the house. So I think what's happening here is that, you know, her emotion is just run wild because she had the drink spilled on her and everything. And, I don't think the storm and all of that is anything that's intended. I think it's just sort of like happening. I think it probably mirrors her internal state because she probably feels like stormy on the inside because of how angry she is. And then I don't know what she intended to do, what she was trying to do to Libby when she pointed at her. But then clearly all she can do at this point is make pineapples. That's her only skill right now, so... Pretty funny to think of her turning into a pineapple because later on we'll see the way that Libby sort of like internalizes what happened to her when she was a pineapple, which is kind of interesting. But
1: yeah, it's a very different type of magic, you know, because obviously I'm I'm coming from the Harry Potter frame of reference and in Harry Potter, it's very much how you flick your wand. They don't have wands. They don't have a flick of their finger and they have very specific words they have to say. It's Wind Leviosa, not Wind Leviosa, you know? <laughs> and coming nice. from that
0: Gron. Get Gron, Get seriously. Get with it, man. Like, come on. Learn how to cast some spells. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and he yeah. Again, and that, that that scene made me really mad because he really that that you know he made Hermione cry there, so I got really upset with Ron. Yeah, so it's like going from very formulaic to more like what you see. I mean, you, you said Super Saiyan, honestly it takes me back to like DBZ here, Dragon Ball Z, where it's like innate ability just kind of like is based on how you feel. Like in Dragon Ball Z, your power level increases just based on anger or how you're feeling at the time. It kind of seems like that, where it's like the magic so tied in with emotion and feeling. And so maybe it is more of a, an art form as opposed to something that you strictly read and learn from a book and perform.
0: And if you're curious about our DBZ content, don't forget to check out our DBZ episode.
1: Now, I got to ask you this question. Did you notice a certain cameo in this scene in the cafeteria?
0: No, I I did not. Enlighten
1: me. I like saw it and I went back. Goldberg the goalie from the Mighty Ducks is in this cafeteria scene. I am
2: Goldberg the goalie!
4: It's so
1: random. What? He does have a line. He says, everybody hit the deck. He's actually credited in this episode. So I was like, wow, it's Goldberg, the goalie. And the last time I remember even hearing about him was basically he was a drug addict. And this is uh, Sean Weiss is the actor's name. But he's like a drug addict. He was homeless. He weighed like 100 pounds. You can see the pictures online. They're terrible. So if, if you got a bad stomach, don't look him up. So I was curious. I was like, man, this is the last time I saw him. He was, I thought he was going to be dead. Turns out he had a great rehab. He's been two years sober. And then I, I kind of went down the rabbit hole because he does an interview about his addictions from heroin and meth and and being homeless. But he does a really good interview on Addiction Talk. It's on YouTube. So you can check that out. But I was like, man, Goldberg, the goalie's here. He gets credited. And this was after the Mighty Ducks. So he was known at the time. So I'm curious, like, you know why he was in this random scene with one line and then done it made he's not a recurring character this is it but i i thought that was an interesting tidbit
0: that's awesome but i had no clue and i i don't know how he got in here must have just been his agent was like here you go one one line in the sabrina pilot i don't know so we, uh, we head back to the Spellman House, uh, Zelda and Hilda are there, and Zelda is talking about going to maybe listen to an MIT lecture on the Heisenberg Principle, shout out to Breaking Bad, you'll understand that reference if you have seen have seen that show. But anyway, this sort of shows us more characterization, it's really great how they do this with like one little line, it kind of shows us how different the sisters are. Zelda is very smart. She's very capable. Very um, a little bit more strict in some ways. Hilda is sort of your fun, carefree, funny aunt. She does a lot of delivers a lot of the comedy, which makes sense because the actress is actually a stand up comedian. Uh, other than also being an actress, Sabrina runs in with the pineapple. And she explains what's happening and, you know, what happened with Libby.
4: I hate being a witch. I just turned the most popular girl in school into a pineapple. Why? Because it's the only thing you taught me how to do.
0: And Hilda grabs the pineapple and she's about to cleave her with a cleaver. And then Zelda stops her and says, the popular girl is not a fruit. Eventually, then, we learn uh, Kazelda then says that Sabrina doesn't know how to seal her spells. So, apparently, they can be reversed by, I guess, any other witch, probably. They bring back Libby, change her back. The ants bring her back from the pineapple. And she's standing there in the kitchen, completely freaked out.
4: You did something to me. You sent me somewhere. Ooh! It was small, and it smelled like Hawaii. Look, Libby, I'm sorry. I didn't know. Not as sorry as you will be. You're an even bigger freak than I thought, and the whole school's gonna know about it.
3: See? My way should be on a toothpick.
0: Now, Sabrina's convinced that Libby is going to pretty much, like, ruin her life because she says that she's a cheerleader, which means that she has credibility, which I thought was an interesting choice of words there. But we find out that there is one way to turn back time, and and Sabrina's hoping to be able to do this so she can reverse all these mistakes that she's made throughout the day. And we learn about something called the Witch's Council. The Witch's Council recurs, and I, I do remember this. It recurs in multiple episodes throughout the series, and they basically are the arbiters of magical law, essentially. We learn that they are 10 million light years away, however. But luckily, there is a shortcut through the linen closet in the Spellman house. The ants get Sabrina ready to go and speak to the council and to try to plead her case for turning back time. As we are headed upstairs to go to the linen closet, we learn that the head of the council was a former lover of Hilda's and that his name is Drell. Apparently, he left her at the altar. Pretty serious stuff. So Sabrina goes in through the linen closet and comes out in the other realm, and she's talking to the council. Two of the members of the council, there are three members that we see. There's one woman and then two men. The two men are a comedian duo, Penn and Teller, who some of you may be aware of. And initially they deny her right away.
2: Okay, uh state your name, age and request. We'll see if we can fit you in.
4: I'm Sabrina, I'm 16. And I'd like to turn back time.
2: Denied. <laughs> well, we fit you in. Next order of business.
0: But she pleads a little bit more and the council uses some magic to speed up Sabrina's voice so that she'll tell the story more quickly because they're obviously getting annoyed with all of the high school details and drama
4: okay where do i start well You know, from the moment I started my new school, I didn't fit in. I wore the wrong shoes, which may seem like nothing, but but kids can be so judgmental.
2: I said, quickly! By
4: the time I got to the cafeteria, Libby spilled grape soda all over me. I was already a bit tense. that's why I turned her into a pineapple. I mean, it wasn't my fault. You don't know this girl. I mean, she's not a witch, but she has the power to turn the whole school against me. And
0: so we get the sped-up chipmunk version of Sabrina as she talks about everything that happened and how this day is going to ruin her life in high school. And now we have to wait to hear if the council approves her request or not. Penn and Teller, um, honestly, I had forgotten that they were in the show, but as soon as I saw them and the council, I was like, oh, I remember this. Did you have any reaction to them? Do you know about them?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I love their comedy. And yeah, this this scene's... it's hilarious. So, it was kind of shocking that I saw saw Penn there, but they tell Sabrina...
4: do don't stare at his
3: mole
1: right and so i'm expecting this like giant wart on his face so they go in there and i'm looking at his face the whole time like where's the mole like i i know pen i'm not familiar with him having a big mole on his face and then i was like okay what was that scene about it wasn't until i watched it back that i saw the actual like he's got an animal a mole like an animal mole that you can't look at which is hilarious I don't think it was alive because it wasn't, like, moving, but it must have been, like, a stuffed animal or something. But was, that was so funny to me. Did you notice, the, like, the mole he's holding when you first saw the scene? Did you know what they were talking about?
0: No, man. I totally didn't even it didn't cross my mind. And I had the same reaction where I was like, wait a second. I don't see a mole.
1: And well, so, like- so
0: now that, that, that is brilliant. I mean, that's a brilliant line. That, that whole setup is great.
1: Well, part of it, honestly, it's like he's holding it in a way where it could be like anything almost. And part of their comedy is is magic. Like they're magicians. They actually had a show where basically, you know, they had magicians come up and try to trick them. And then Penn and Teller had a guess like what the solution was. I forget the name of the show offhand, but they had to guess like how the actual trick was done. To prove it's not actual magic and and that was the whole show. So they're magicians. Like they know they're very familiar with like sleight of hand and stuff. So I wonder how much of that played into it, where they were trying to like hide it in plain view. But that's what it was to me. At the very end of the scene, you can see it because they kind of zoom in on it when it's like, Are you staring at my mole? But yeah, I'm I'm glad that I'm not crazy. I'm glad I'm not crazy because I was like, I didn't, I, I was completely misdirected from that line, and that was kind of cool. Another thing I loved about these scenes and kind of the script and writing in general was you you had mentioned about how Hilda was left at the altar. And there's a cool a line here where basically they're talking about them being married. They were being married at the Parthenon.
3: They haven't seen him in centuries. Not since he left her at the altar. Daddy lost a huge deposit on the Parthenon. Would you let that go? It's ancient history.
1: And so she's talking about the wedding and the drama behind the wedding while at the same time talking about the Parthenon. And it's like something like that. That's such tight, well-done writing where I'm just like, I smile at that. Like that brings me so much joy just knowing that that was was brilliantly tied together. And that happens so much in this series. It's so enjoyable. Just little lines like that. And yeah, there's nothing more to it. You know, they move on from there. But you get that little satisfying, ah, that felt good. That's a good script. He or she thought this through and made this connection. How how great. I think that the show has a lot of little
0: lines like that that aren't even necessarily laugh out loud lines, but they kind of make you chuckle. They make you smile. They make you feel good about it. And... I think in a lot of ways this show is sort of like comfort TV. It's very inviting, and it gives you those good little one-liners. you got the running jokes. Um, We have these good callbacks to things that happened before. Really just well done. So after this, we head over to Sabrina's room, and she's waiting to find out if the council will accept her request, but we don't know. But she does talk to Salem in this scene. And this was something I always loved about the show, the the Salem's backstory. We learned from him that he is actually a warlock, not a cat. And he was sentenced to live as a cat for a hundred years.
2: And for what? I don't know, for what? Oh, like any young kid, I dreamed of world domination. Of course, they really crack down when you act upon it.
0: You know, nothing too serious, though. And this is a running theme with Salem, how he constantly references his desire to conquer the world. And He clearly still wants to. The punishment is not working, and I, like it's pretty, it seems pretty clear that as soon as the hundred years are over, he'll probably try to conquer the world again. But I love this idea of this warlock as it, who's now been a cat for many years, but who still harbors these desires of world domination.
2: Mm, it would have been glorious, me. Is the firm but just Emperor of Earth.
0: A little bit of a pinky in the brain kind of vibe from Animaniacs there. So the next morning, we go down to the kitchen with Sabrina. At first, there is no word. But then, out of the toaster, we get word from the council. Apparently, that's how they send their messages. And the request was denied. So Hilda just tells Sabrina that she's going to have to toughen up and just deal with it. Who cares what the other kids think? So Sabrina runs off uh, to go to school not knowing what she's going to do, but as she leaves, Zelda says,
3: Just a thought, but I bet you could convince him to change his mind. Me? I don't think so. Besides, Sabrina's going to be fine. Yes, she'll be ostracized and reviled, but she'll get over it. The wounds will heal, the scars will fade, you know I can't face Drell. So
0: against her desires, Hilda is going to head upstairs and enter into the linen closet, and we hear just her totally ripping Drell a new one. I mean, we don't we don't see it, but we hear her walking in and Drell's reaction.
2: Hilda, what are you doing here? Oh, get your hands
1: off my ball! <laughs>
0: Clearly, things aren't done with Drell yet. They have some kind of weird dynamic that's still going on.
1: They were almost married. He left her at the altar, man. I mean, oof. Again, another example of, like, beautiful comedy here. They get a letter from the toaster saying the denial letter, right? Because they're witches. That's what they do. And then, up puts bread in the toaster while they're having a discussion about it. Like (laughs) toasting their bread, like a normal person after they just received a message from the toaster. So it's just like, it's stuff like that, that I'm like, man, that's such, that's such subtle humor, but I'm like, Oh, it's so great. So
0: we head back to the school and we see that actually time has been turned back. Sabrina doesn't realize it at first, but pretty soon Jenny comes up to her. She tells the same Brad Pitt joke that she did the day before. They go into the history class, and they leave having, with Sabrina having known everything on the quiz now. When she aces the quiz, she knows when she goes into the hallway that she needs to turn around to catch the football, so she does. And then when she's at lunch, she asks Harvey out to a movie before Libby has a chance to do anything. I will note that she asked her to go to a movie with her and Jenny. So this is as more of friends than anything at this point. So now Libby's been foiled. When she comes over to the table, Harvey turns her down because he just made plans. And Sabrina does do a little bit of revenge on Libby. She's able to magic Libby's cup so that it splashes into her face. So all around, Sabrina has turned it all around. This is now the perfect day. And she comes home, she's really excited, she starts dancing around with Salem. There is a little bit of like an after-credit thing, where Sabrina and Salem are having a little conversation.
2: Once I controlled Eurasia, I was going to advance on... Oh, Salem? Can you hold that thought?
4: I'll be right back, I gotta get some more milk.
2: Stay where you are. You're a witch. Look under the ends.
4: Wow, magic milk. Cool, it worked. Hey, I can get used to this magic.
1: Hey, share.
0: And Salem ends the episode asking her to share the milk.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting about the dance scene, because that's a real cat, right? Um, But part of it was Salem had said, based on his punishment, that he can no longer dance.
2: I can't go dancing, I can't play squash.
1: So that kind of ties in with, hey, you can still dance. Part of that scene with him as to what he can't do anymore, it was dancing, but it was also squash playing squash, he said. And I, I, I was trying to figure this out because I don't know if it's an inconsistency, could be a mistake, but then Sabrina says.
4: Salem, I don't play squash, but how about a dance? Mm-hmm.
1: I can't play Splash, but I can dance. So he called it Squash. She called it Splash. I have no idea. I only remember it because I had no idea what he meant by Squash in general. Like, did you have any idea about the game of Squash, Splash, like what they were talking about? Because they're inconsistent. And even then, I don't know exactly what games that they're talking about. But he said playing, so it has to be a game, right?
0: Squash is a game. I... I, um. I don't know exactly how it works. It it looks like it takes place on a court and I'm not really sure how you play it, but I did know it was a game because I've heard people refer to it in other shows like just over the years, normally in older shows, um, it would be referenced sometimes as far as the splash thing. I feel like that might be a misread of the line that got into the episode because yeah, you're right. She's clearly trying to do for him what he can't do anymore. She can dance, but she can't play the game. So I wonder if that's just a mistake that got into the episode. It could be. After watching this pilot episode, I went and watched some interviews with the different uh, members of the cast. And I really loved watching this again. It was really cool after quite a long time. And when I saw the cast back together, it was it was really interesting to see how they had changed. Melissa Joan Hart, Libby, the ants, all looked more or less the same, just a little bit older. But Harvey, man, we talked about those locks, those gorgeous heartthrob locks from back in the nineties. Well, those do not exist anymore, my friend. Let me tell you, Harvey is almost completely bald, and he wears a hat. One other thing that I think was very interesting is that, and this was just from a few months ago, This, uh, where all five of them were together, they said, all of them said, that they would love to do some kind of reunion, even a new show, like in the form of maybe Sabrina and Harvey's kids or something like that, so... If they were to do that, that would be amazing. I loved the um, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina series that wrapped up a couple years ago. That was very different in tone than this. Loved it, but I would also love if they would do this show again in this sort of sitcom comedy style. I think that'd be awesome. So I'm just going to put that out there into the ether. If any of our listeners happen to be big shot producers, you work in TV please contact the cast of Sabrina, bring them back. Okay, so uh, we're going to do some ratings here, Uh, scale 1 to 10. The idea sort of being that it's sort of like a grading scale, you know, 90 to 100 is an A, that sort of thing, 80 and up from there is a B. The IMDB, Internet Movie Database, score for the first episode of Sabrina is a 7.6. I think that that is a wicked score in a very negative sense of the word wicked. I think that it is way too low. I think this is a beautiful pilot. I think they did an amazing job of establishing all of this background information. We get all this stuff about Sabrina's family, these rules about mortals and witches together and how that works. We find out about the witches' Council... We find out about some of how magic works and the process of all of that spell sealing and all this stuff. We get specific characteristics of each and every character that make them very unique right from the start. got the tight writing. It's really good. I mean, now the plot isn't anything like unbelievable. I mean, it's just, you know, basic story about her going through her first day at high school. But to be able to pull that off... And fit in all this stuff in the pilot pretty good. So, on this one, I landed at an 8.5 for the pilot. It's about an average B score. So, on the better end of things, you know, about a midpoint of a B, I would say. And nothing really that I would criticize, just that I imagine there are probably better episodes of the series later that are probably more iconic, might have more complicated plots or things like that. But I don't think they did anything wrong in this pilot.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a pilot. So I think, I think it was hampered by having to explain. Oh, Cause that was the difference I noticed between this episode and the one that I'll be covering with dream date was they kind of had to cover some bases here to explain things. So I think a lot of the themes and cool interactions are kind of, they're tempered down pretty significantly in this. In, in terms of a pilot, again, like you said, great characters, um, all established well. I think with the magic, maybe they could have done a little bit more of an explanation as to how the spells are are done. I also, the, you know, the family background, while uh, again an original set, I still think maybe needed some more explanation um, with regard to the mom and dad and everything. But again, it's a you know it's a pilot episode. You don't really want to focus on characters that aren't in the episode. So, I gave it an 8.6. I think it's a great episode and the fact that the show is a 6.7 is wild to me. I mean, when I when I look at scripts especially, I pointed out some of them. It's like to have those jokes hidden in a show like that is brilliant. I found myself finding nuggets all throughout the way. And again, I just honestly, I encourage people just to watch the episode because you can pick all the stuff up. It's hard to just kind of, you know, rehash all the brilliant dialogue going on here, but a lot of the stuff, especially like the pineapple stuff, they, they, they weave that in throughout the whole episode. It's, it's so well done. And I I loved the script here, the jokes. So, but yeah, 6.7 for the show to me, again, we have the two episode frame of reference, but that's ridiculous. I mean, that's absurd to me.
0: Agreed. And I think you you made a good point about just rewatching these because You know, we understand people don't always have the ability to listen ahead for whatever our episodes are going to be about, but I would hope even sometimes when you hear us talk about it that it encourages you to go seek it out afterwards because with something like this, we're only covering the two episodes, they're together probably like a 45-minute time commitment. It's definitely worth just seeing it because the chemistry, the humor... It can't really come across in a narration like we're doing to that extent.
1: Moving on to season one, episode six, the dream date. So we begin. Sabrina gets a call from Harvey and Sabrina asks her aunt Zelda to leave. She wants some privacy because, you know, she's got some things for Harvey. Harvey's on the phone with her.
4: You were asking? No, Mr. Poole said photosynthesis would not be on the test. Is that it? okay yeah see you tomorrow
1: towards the end of the scene a picture on the wall it's this random picture of a wall that starts like mocking her there
4: there i'm sure harvey will ask you out on a date someday thanks louisa you were listening I have no privacy in this house! Harvey and Sabrina! Harvey
1: and Sabrina! And, you know, Sabrina is exacerbated because she has no privacy in the house. So she asked her Zelda to leave so she could talk with Harvey one-on-one. And then here's this picture, this photo frame on the wall, basically still listening in. So she can't get any ounce of privacy. And so this is our first intro scene, and then we cut to the credits.
0: So first thing that I noticed about this scene, just an old tech alert running to get the phone such an important part of our lives which is now has just been torn from us forever and honestly i kind of liked the old way where people couldn't just get in touch with you instantly and you're just drawn to the phone you just feel it buzz and you're out there you're just looking at it before you even realize back in the 90s when there was a phone call it was a big deal you didn't know who it was who it was for People in the house, whoever was closest would answer the phone, and then you'd you know maybe it was for them, maybe they went and got you. It was kind of it's it's kind of mundane in a way, but it was a little bit exciting when you got a phone call. You don't really feel that way these days, I don't think, with texting and everything. Of course, the old stereotype in these days was of teenagers constantly being on the phone talking. Now they're constantly on the phone. Texting on social media. I think talking to people is probably better. So that was one thing that I noted. I also noticed that in the scene that Zelda was putting honey into her teacup. But that the tea was billowing out with steam. Like it was dry ice or something that you would see in like a haunted house. For some reason her tea is just erupting with steam. And I'm assuming that was put in as a funny little side gag or something, so I appreciated that. I have written down for the picture the name Louisa. Now, I don't really know anything about this person. I'm assuming that it's explained to some point in the series and that we just missed it probably.
1: Starting off, you had cords, right? So it's not wireless. Wireless came later, but here Sabrina has a corded phone, so you're kind of limited to whatever area that is, and basically our corded phone was the kitchen which is like the center of our house growing up. So you talk about privacy. It's like anyone who calls, you're right that there was no way to know because they there's no caller ID. So you didn't know what number was coming in. Again, that came later. But you had a corded phone in the middle of the house. And then whatever conversation you were having was heard by everybody that was in like even the remote vicinity of it. And eventually we would get different phone jacks in like different areas of the house. So you'd have a semblance of privacy, but even then you could just pick up the phone and hear whatever was happening on the other end. So like my parents had a landline, as we called it, in their room. And so if they wanted to, they could just pick it up, and be like, hey, what's you know, who's Paul talking to? Boom, there we go. It's so there, yeah, no privacy at all. And you definitely couldn't leave your house and go talk for a walk or anything like that. And that was that that was the life. And and you're right, there's one call. So one person keys the phone at a time, and that was it.
0: One more thing I need to say about the phone situation. In my parents' house growing up, all we had were rotary dial phones that were corded into the wall. Eventually, they got a touch-tone corded phone. They never went wireless. They never got a caller ID. We did eventually get a message recording machine, which I... Suspect might have been a hand me down from someone in our family, and then it wasn't until relatively recently that they even got cell phones of any kind so even now when I call home more often than not, especially my
1: dad he's talking on the house phone man rotary phone like so <laughs> our listeners might be too they might be too young for that you had to like put your finger into a circle based on the number and then Make a circle with it. I never had one growing up. My grandma did, and I use that one occasionally, but I never even had a rotary phone. So you're like even more old school than me. Um super old school, yeah. That's pretty wild. And my family's the same way. And my mom has actually been more technological. She uses a cell phone. I text her. My dad, never. He he just is he's an old school Italian dude, never it's so bad. He got a cell phone a couple of years ago because my mom was basically basically, he's like 75. She's like, if an emergency happens, I have to reach you. So you've got to get a phone just for this. And he said, fine. But avoided cell phones his whole life. We recently took him out for grandparents' day to a Mexican restaurant and to reach my dad. I did not call his cell phone. I called the home phone, like he said, and he answered. He was there. So that's the thing that for whatever reason that generation just avoids technology altogether even though it's better i think in every way i i, I can't see why they're reticent about it
0: it's something about dads cuz my mom can text and everything too she knows how to send emojis and stuff so i i don't know but it's something about dads of course both of our dads are italian dads maybe it has something to do with that i don't know man
1: it'll be interesting to see as we get older like what kind of technology we refuse Versus, you know, cause I was like, ah, you know, I'll always adopt the technology, but I wonder at what point we say, nope, we're going to stick with this. So we got Sabrina here. She's despondent. She has no privacy. And here's Harvey, the love of her life, asking about a, a science quiz. Doesn't care about her. So she's pretty sad. We cut to the school where we see Libby along with other students setting up for this harvest moon dance. And Jenny, Sabrina's friend, says she's going alone because
4: Dates are just society's way of keeping numbers even. I'm going to represent all things that are odd.
1: Now, Sabrina wants to go with Harvey, but she doesn't want to complicate the friendship by saying she likes Harvey.
4: You know, I was thinking it might be kind of fun to go with Harvey. Are you going to ask him? Oh, I can't. I don't want to complicate our friendship. What if he asked you? Well I don't mind if he complicates their
1: friendship. An odd dichotomy there. Ultimately, Jenny plays the ultimate wing woman by at the lunch table in the cafeteria, asking Harvey what his plans were for the dance, and then she just pieces out. So Jenny set the stage for Sabrina to ask Harvey out to the dance. It's literally laid right in front of her. Harvey shares he's not planning to go to the dance since dances are not his thing. Sabrina says that she has no plans either yet. But then, here comes Libby, the alpha of the group. She takes the initiative.
4: And by the way, Harvey, I was thinking you and I could go to the dance together. Okay?
1: Okay. And she basically tells Harvey that he should go with her to the dance. And Harvey agrees. Sabrina gets upset by this.
4: Okay? I thought you said school dances weren't your thing.
1: They're not. I panicked. I have a hard time saying no. Because Harvey had just told her dances weren't his thing. But then Harvey shares for the first time, and we kind of knew this from the pilot, but it's hard for him to say no.
0: Yeah, Harvey here, uh, he claims that he panicked because whenever Libby asks him, he says a very kind of lukewarm okay to her. And then afterwards, he's like, yeah, I panicked. Now, I, I will say a couple things here. One... I'm totally with Harvey on dances not being his thing. Never liked dances, was not a fan, still don't like dances. And I went only to one dance in my entire high school career, and it was not the prom. I pieced out on the prom entirely. So I'm with him there. Him not being able to say no to Libby, um, I don't know. I mean, let me say I didn't have girls just coming up to me telling me I was should go to the dance with them. If that happened, I don't know, maybe I would panic too, I'm not sure. But Harvey clearly needs to learn how to work on this, uh, on this skill here. Because you're right, Jenny laid it out perfect for the two of them to get together, and it ends up getting all messed up here. The thing about complicating the friendship, and this is what I was really kind of honed in on, is that age-old thing of girls versus boys asking each other out. And Sabrina seems to feel like she doesn't want to ask out Harvey, but she would love it if he asked her out. What are your thoughts on that whole thing? On the sort of more traditional expectations of the guy asks out the girl, that sort of thing? I'm not a huge fan of that, because I sort of like the idea of more equality in relationships. It's not easy always being the one that's expected to make the move, you know, and I think if one or the other is feeling like they want to ask the other out, it's be better if the person who is more able to do that does it, wh- whoever it happens to be. But maybe this is a case where they're both kind of demure, they're both kind of shy, and neither of them is really good at this sort of thing,
1: yeah, that's an interesting way to put it because you're right, it is incumbent upon the man to ask the girl out. And I never really thought about it like that because I'm mad at Sabrina here for not sharing her thoughts and her opinions because she's afraid of complicating the friendship, but it's clearly a complicated friendship. I mean, it's, it's already that, and she knows it. She does not know how Harvey feels though. And so for her just to sit there and say, well, if Harvey likes me, he must necessarily ask me. It's interesting, you know, because it's, You know, I grew up with that idea as well, especially with proposals and marriage. It's always the guy doing it. And that's just the way it is. But I've always hated it. Not that necessarily the actual proposal, but the idea that the guy has to do everything because guys can be shy. You know, I was shy. You were shy. Like we're not, you know, some, you know, we are Casanovas in a sense, but not confident necessarily. And so the idea that we have to be the ones to do it especially in light of worries of sexual harassment or anything like that it's like yeah i i, I just you really stumped me with this cuz i really wanted Sabrina to to share how she felt and it seemed like she was it seemed like Jenny set her up for that and so i really didn't think of Sabrina doing that based on gender roles at all but that's a really good point that i didn't consider and so yeah, maybe, maybe Harvey's just a putz here, but that's kind of the problem. It's like, I feel like so many relationships, especially at that age might just fizzle out because no one's willing to say anything one way or the other. And so, and this is a theme in the episode is that, you know, Sabrina is, is kind of goading Harvey into asking her out and he won't. So what do you do when you've got the role that Harvey's supposed to ask her out when he's shy? Oof, these are tough questions.
0: Yeah, tough questions, and I mean, I I don't know, Sabrina, in this case, what she would have done if Libby hadn't walked in. I mean, maybe they would have eventually gotten there, but as it is, we have now a a complicated situation, and so I guess we'll see how it plays out.
1: So you connected more with the complicating relationship about asking the person out, you know, kind of formally declaring your feelings. For me, I connected more with Harvey's inability to say no. And this was especially true when I was younger. It's currently a thing I'm, I'm navigating in my own life with my wife now where I have, I have a hard time saying how I feel. I have a hard time saying what I want because I always want to please the other person no matter what, even if it's to my detriment, I want to please the other person. So if it's something they want to do, even if I don't want to do it, I'll just say, of course, you know, because why disappoint them? Why upset them? I'm a people pleaser. And so that's it's really hard for me. And my wife's like, just say what you want, like be honest with it, because if not, you're gonna arbor resentment and say, Oh, I wish this were the case when it's not. And she just wants to make sure I have what I want. So it's that difficulty. But especially when I was younger, this wasn't even on my radar. And so I actually got into a lot of, I don't want to say trouble, but like I would do this all the time. Where and again, we're talking about high school, we're talking about dating. So that's I'm gonna limit the conversation to that, but I did that all the time. I mean, I don't want to say that I'm, you know, again, a a Casanova of sorts, but I would basically, anytime someone said, Hey, you want to hang out or go to this or do this? I would say, of course. And that happened with guys, but it it also happened with girls and they would basically say, Hey, you want to hang out or do this together? I was like, sure. Because the alternative is to make them upset, right? It's to deny them, turn them down. But at the same time, I'm like feeding into the fact that maybe I like them in the way they think I do. And so I understand I'm like leading them on in that sense. And you mentioned about dances, like one homecoming dance, like the only homecoming dance I went to was that situation. A girl had asked me to go to a homecoming dance and she's a great girl, but I I didn't, I didn't think of her in that way, but what was I going to do? Say no. And then ruin the friendship make her upset, make her sad. I was like, "No, I'll go with you to the dance because that's, you know, that that's I'm a people pleaser. That'll make her happy." But at the same time, I'm feeding this notion that maybe I like her. And so it's this idea that you're leading people on. And it's like, "I I see that now where it's like, okay, maybe I was leading these girls on that I like them, but I was just trying to, you know, please them." And so it's man, it's a really difficult scenario to avoid being rude, but at the same time it's almost more rude to agree to do something that you don't want to do. To me, my high school life in that regard with girls, it's like it's almost like a Seinfeld episode where it's like I could just imagine, and maybe it is, but I could just imagine a guy who can't say no and he like gets married and has kids because he can never say no, because he wants to make sure she's happy. And it's like you've spent your whole life living this lie because <laughs> you, you don't want the awkwardness of saying no and being rude. And so that's something I'm constantly working on today because that's so hard to do for me.
0: I mean, if you want to claim Casanova status, I won't contest that. So when it comes to saying no to people, it can be pretty difficult. I generally, like back in high school, this sort of thing just didn't really happen to me that much. At least not with dating. I mean, now there were situations where there were friends that... Maybe for whatever reason, like you didn't want to do something or you didn't want to hang out. And I would not go to those sorts of things normally. Often what I would do, though, is I would come up with an excuse. So, I mean, in a way that's similar, you know, because you still don't want to straight up tell the person, no, I don't want to be around you. So I guess it's just a more a more passive way of of doing the same.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that, with the excuses. And one of my go tos was just ghosting. Just ignore them and hope it goes away. Anything to avoid that awkwardness. And I, listen, I get that's kind of a, a terrible thing to do, but like for whatever reason, that's so hard for me to say no and have that difficult conversation.
0: Man, you said ghosting. I actually did ghost people on Instant Messenger back in the like back in the day. So AOL Instant Messenger, you could go on you'd go online, but you would ghost. So like people couldn't see on your friends list that on their friends list that you were online. And I would do that when I didn't want to talk to people. It's too bad. We don't have instant messenger anymore. RIP to AOL instant messenger.
1: Yeah. At this point, it's just, uh, you got to remove yourself from social media as much as possible. So you can, uh, kind of limit who you're talking to and where you're at. But we grew up, I mean, like, when we were our most social in college, especially like you could reach people at all hours at all times. You had cell phones, internet, messenger, you you couldn't escape any of it at all. And so really the only way now is just to basically, you know, remove yourself for that and really focus on where you're putting your time. So you're not putting those situations of like, you know, what do I do here? I, how do I deal with it? And so, yeah, that's why I've know, remove myself out of so many social circles because I'm just so afraid of having to say no, because I, I live such a different life from how I used to. So in
0: that scene where everyone was setting up that we were just talking about, there's a character named Sasha who is one of Libby's little minion hangers on. And she's standing there in the middle of the cafeteria where they're setting up everything for the dance. And she says,
4: I just don't get how people can dance with all these tables here. Sasha, we'll move the tables. I always
0: love this sort of interplay where there's just, like, some really dopey, like, airheaded character. And then you have someone else who's, like, a straight character that just punctures them
1: whenever they say something like that. Oh, yeah, that was hilarious. So we have Sabrina at And obviously, she's upset Harvey agreed to go to the dance with Libby despite the fact that she refused to ask him to the dance and share her feelings. So why she would be so upset that Harvey would go, it's pretty mind boggling. But again, you know, she felt like, hey, if Harvey liked me, he would have asked me. And so that's kind of her mindset. So she goes to her aunts for help. And basically, Aunt Hilda's there and she says, listen, if, if Harvey had a hard time saying no, why didn't you just ask him? Right? <laughs> like, if, if he can't say no to someone like Libby, he would have said yes to you too. But then Sabrina says...
4: Because then he would know that I liked him. (laughs) But you do. Yes, but I can't tell him that.
1: So there's also that issue of Sabrina kind of doesn't want to put herself out there for fear of rejection, not knowing how Harvey feels about her. Sabrina says basically, listen, I mean, I've given some idea I like him.
4: I smile at him a lot. And sometimes when we play foosball, I let him win.
1: So I guess to Sabrina, that's justification. That's, That's her expressing her love without actually saying the words, Zelda goes,
3: We'll never figure it out that way. 16-year-old boys are oblivious. If you like Harvey, you'll have to tell him.
1: We find out from the ants that there's no love spell. Sabrina wants to find his shortcut to love with Harvey. And we've seen that in things like Aladdin. You can't make people fall in love. And Zelda says that love is too special to tamper with. Aunt Hilda then comes in and says, You can't make him love you, but you can entrap him for." Not loving you, and then we have a scene of this guy in this amber ring that Aunt Hilda has trapped him in, and he's like in these medieval clothes, and he's got this accent on, so it must have been centuries. Who knows how long? But basically, (laughs) they cut to him, and he he funnily says to her,
2: "Hilda, let me out. Though it's starting to grow on me." I love the way
3: he catches the
1: light. He's trying to get out of this amber ring. He's just he's stuck there indefinitely. Sabrina then is just, you know, she's despondent from the whole situation and she wants to be left alone. And the ants are there and they leave her alone, but they they really want to help her. They're sad and they say, what can we do to help her? They decide, hey, let's create this cool, hip person to take her to the dance out of what is known as man-do. And they begin the process of making Sabrina's dream date.
0: I mentioned before that interview at the Comic-Con that I was watching, and there was a question that was asked from the audience in there, and then they asked Melissa Joan Hart, Caroline Ray, and Beth Broderick, what was their favorite episode? And one thing that I will say is that Zelda, Beth Broderick, said, well, Caroline and I loved the episode where we made men out of dough.
1: Whoa. So, So
0: apparently... All these years later, because this was just a few months ago, they remember this episode specifically and the Mando. So, big shout out to the episode for that. I think that it's interesting that there's that no love spell uh, rule. Makes sense, we've seen it in other things before. I like that whenever they're trying to coax Sabrina to not rush out of the room, all upset, away from them. Hilda tries to get her to come back by yelling out, we have pie, but unfortunately that doesn't work. So then we get into the Mando scene, and man, this is a great scene because it's montage territory. And you know I love a good montage.
4: We're gonna need a montage. montage. Ooh, it takes a montage.
0: montage! Right out of Rocky. Just on par
1: with that kind of montage. <laughs> I'll, I'll clip in uh, Team America here again. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Ann Hilda here. I mean, that's kind of evil, right? To like capture a dude? Because we just, in the pilot, in the pilot, we know she was engaged to Penn, left at the altar. And here's this guy. She captured him in a ring indefinitely that's i mean that's horrific right that's dark like you're supposed to laugh at him because he's got a an accent and stuff but he's just like he's still in the ring and then the scene ends he's still in the ring i mean for all i know he's he's in there after like during season seven right like it's yeah. dark to me it, could be.
0: it is yeah uh i can't defend it but it's it's really funny it's a great i think it's a great little gag and uh I don't know what that tells us about Hilda. Yeah, it's 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 dark, definitely. But I always like a little dark humor in my shows, and uh, they pulled it off well. You know, it's it's not presented as, as too serious, the tone of it. So, I mean, I, I thought it was pretty funny. But yeah, hard to justify,
1: definitely. Do you agree with the statement that uh, 16-year-old boys are oblivious to a girl's desires?
0: A little love guru territory here. Uh, not the Mike Myers version but i think when you're that age i will say that you are aware of who you're interested in but a lot of times i don't think you always get the hints though or either way because sometimes you're getting hints that they don't like you sometimes that they do i found it i think a little challenging to kind of suss out what exactly these signals all meant it's it's really cryptic at that age because nobody wants to say how they really feel right and that's what we're seeing here that sabrina doesn't want to reveal her true feelings harvey doesn't want to reveal his true feelings so i think that's a common problem maybe you were more of
1: a casanova though watching this i feel like one but it's like i I was not a casanova i went to an all-boys school so it's like my experience in this is so limited but the quintessential the no-nonsense was asking someone to the dance. I mean, that was like the asking out. Once you've done that, you've taken that step. If you didn't, you haven't. So it's like for them to still like each other and then not ask each other to the dance is like, you're done at that point. They're both cowards. How do you ever get to that point where you express your feelings for one another? I, I guess you just never do. You exist in the in the gossip in the locker rooms and, and the bathrooms of the world. Like You just never admit it, I, I have no idea. Like if you can't ask the person to a dance, to me that's so basic. So you mentioned this montage scene. So we left Sabrina alone in her room, sad. The ants wanted to help her. They decided to make her the dream date. The, again, the the purpose of the episode. And so we cut to this funny scene of the ants trying to make this dream date. And like you said, it's a montage. They're they're dancing to like salsa music or something like that. And they're making a Man out of dough. And it's like they're making a cookie. You know, they're like putting the dough together and they're trying to shape his arms and his legs and his torso and his head with dough. And it's literally dough. So like dough from a pizza, et cetera. Oddly enough, one, one of the arms of this man is shorter than the other because Aunt Hilda ate some of the dough, which is kind of funny. After they've created this form of him, they go to make his substance, which is his personality. And so they want him to be a great dancer with enthusiasm, who's a musician and a daredevil, but they put too much enthusiasm in this mix. So this kind of took me back to like the Powerpuff Girls, where they're like, sugar, spice, anything nice type of thing. They're trying to make this perfect man, but they put too much enthusiasm in him. Sabrina comes down from her room after groveling, and she says,
4: What are you cooking? Something smells... Handsome?
1: Sabrina says she's not going to the dance no matter what she's very adamant about it and then all of a sudden this dream date comes to life and he just so happens to be a very enthusiastic cute boy and once Sabrina sees him her mind changes she wants to go to the dance and this dream date he's super excited about going to the dance because again too much enthusiasm. Sabrina then casts a spell instantly to change herself into a nice dress for the dance. And here we are. We have the dream date and Sabrina ready to go and have a good time together.
0: This scene was the moment that I remembered that I had watched this before. It was probably back in the 90s when this aired or around the time that it aired in a repeat. And it was because of the the scene with the montage and the dough. So that really brought the nostalgia back for me. I love this little detail about his one arm being shorter than the other because it sort of recurs as like a running joke, like of the fact that he has a shorter arm. I noticed whenever they were deciding his characteristics, at one point Zelda says, do girls still like musicians? I feel like like that was always something that girls were interested in. Maybe I'm wrong, who knows, but it was an interesting little specific sort of thing to bring up. What are your thoughts about, the characteristics that they picked. They put in the enthusiasm, you know, they try to make him cute, they make him cool, he has a motorcycle, we find out uh, whenever they're on their way to the dance. They didn't put in anything like intelligence or cleverness or any of those sorts of things, you know, it's it's sort of a, a more, um, shall I say, vapid sort of person.
1: Well, it's weird because he turned out cute, but that was not a... Personality characteristic they put in, right? Mm -hmm. Why was he cute? Like he could have been (laughs) ugly, right? He was cute. I I was thinking about this because obviously, you know, we found our dream dates. So how would how would you describe the like three ingredients for your wife? And I'll lead off here to kind of give give some semblance. Like I would say, you mentioned intelligence. I would say intelligence. My wife's smart. I love that she can get my jokes because I hate when I do a reference or sarcasm that just like goes over someone's head. can't do it. I can't be your friend, nothing. So intelligence to me would be absolutely one ingredient of my wife. The second is funny. Can have a good time, can laugh at things, laugh at jokes, laugh at the sarcasm. So understand it and laugh about it. And then the third one, I decided on caring is that she always wants to make me happy, no matter what. Her making me happy makes her happy, and she sees that above all else. You know, those would be, be the three ingredients, and I'll say, I, you know, those are the ingredients I put in to create my perfect dream date. So I'll throw it to you to be a romantic here and decide your three.
0: Well, this isn't going to come off as very romantic, because your list is exactly what my list is. And I'm, I'm not even kidding, down to the order because after you asked me that question I very quickly came up with a little list scribbled it down and I put in that in the exact order that you did intelligence sense of humor and caring slash loving personality uh, you know it's
1: a, it's a reflection of ourselves it, right I mean it's, it, it's it really it. is it,
0: I mean but you know my wife is uh, she you know she has a doctorate degree she's very intelligent she, gets my jokes which is what we were talking you had mentioned there as well that's really important our our sense of humor is very in sync and i feel like if it wasn't that it would just not work because that's such an important element and i i like to crack jokes a lot not, not like um oh so a priest and a rabbi walk into a bar kind of jokes but like witty sort of observations and puns and other types of humor sarcasm and sometimes even kind of absurd kind of humor and then the last element of that yeah is the caring the loving idea of wanting to to make each other happy really you know uh, constantly
1: and so that's
0: yeah those are vital so that's what i would pick and um you're right it reflects us as well i would say
1: Boom. And thankfully for us, our <clears throat> dates last longer than four hours, because that—that that is a qualification here, is that you have a four-hour limit for whatever you create with this Mando, which I actually like, because to me, I think, you know, we've talked about the monkey's paw a little bit in previous episodes, the concept that if you make a wish, you don't know exactly what that wish is going to bring into play, right? And it could be really bad. And I like this four-hour limit, because... Oddly enough, kind of takes me back. There's this Netflix show, but it's a Shrek, um, like haunted Halloween series on Netflix, and basically, he goes to make it's the Gingerbread Man, and he makes this perfect girl, right? And he puts an inordinate amount of sugar in it to make her sweet because he wants a really sweet girl. But then she becomes some crazy lunatic and possessive of it over him, like wanting him more than anything. And she ends up like multiplying and and saying, I'm going to love you forever and ever and ever. And it's really creepy because she just is so sweet. Right. And it's that monkey's paw, but he's kind of like GG done here Four hours. No matter what happened, you're done after four hours. And it's like, well, the wishes in general, that'd be nice. If you could put like a little bit of a qualification on it, like, Hey, if this wish didn't turn out well. I can end it after four hours. Like I want all the wealth in the world. And then someone kills you because you're rich. That'd be nice to have a a way to get out of it. So here they can kind of experiment and test. And so if things go wrong, which we'll see, this can go wrong. You kind of have a way out. I do have one more question for you here. So Sabrina, basically, she, you know, snaps her fingers and she has this nice dress, right? For the dance. And she wasn't Expecting to go to the dance. Now, ordinarily, she'd have to go to a shop, size herself, and find the right dress. Uh, you know, as a girl, I can imagine how hard that process would be to find out what to wear. But it's a spell, but it's pretty, it's like pedestrian in a way. It's not like I want a million dollars, a billion dollars, I want to live forever. You know, my wife was basically like, hey, that'd be a great spell to have. You know, what would your spell be? And I was like, oh, I'd, I'd want infinite money or whatever. She's like, that's not the spirit of what I was asking. And so I, but then I understood what she was saying. Like, what would your pedestrian spell be if you could like snap your fingers and have something like mundane happen? So for like, for me, it'd be yard work. My lawn was mowed, my mulch was in, bushes trimmed, etc. What would your mundane spell be?
0: Man, yard work is tempting, but I'm, I'm going to say uh, food. Food. It would be to have food immediately prepared. And so I could just snap my fingers and boom, Taco Bell right in my hand. If I can't get name brand stuff, which is the case in Sabrina, then just to be able to snap my fingers and then lasagna right there on
1: the table, that would be epic. Oh, man, I've I've got my DoorDash for Taco Bell going right now, so it might come in during the episode here.
0: <laughs> Excellent. You'll have to update the listeners if it arrives and tell us what you ordered. Oh man. I'm so hungry for it. I know the feeling. In fact, I had Taco Bell today for dinner. I hate you. I did the online app order. Okay. So, basically, you know, for the listeners, if you love Taco Bell, you need to get the app because you can get online exclusives on the app. One of the best things they have five dollar box okay you get for five dollars you get a main item which could be something like a crunch wrap it could be a chalupa you get a secondary item which be a sort of taco a potato taco a burrito you get a side so you could get cheesy potatoes or one of the desserts and then you get a drink five dollars for all that so And you get rewards. So just a shout out to Taco Bell. We probably should do a Taco Bell episode at some point. But I'm just going to say that highly recommended. I mean, yeah,
1: that's great. I did not know that was an online exclusive. Taco Bell was not a random pick when I mentioned it. It's very, you know, Matt and I are very intimately connected with Taco Bell. Again, every single Saturday movie crew in college, we got Taco Bell. My wife and I, after we were married, went to Taco Bell to eat. It was a viral post on their Facebook. They actually called us to do a commercial in California based on that post. We did not end up getting casted for it, but that's how intimate Taco Bell is. We love it. Um, I'm sad I did not know that, but I might have to get two of those boxes, though. So Sabrina has her dream date, and she's decided, because he's cute, they're going to go to the dance. And so we have that interesting element of Sabrina going with a guy who's not Harvey and Harvey going to the dance with Libby. We cut to the dance where Sabrina introduces him to Jenny, her best friend who's there. He pauses at first when she asks for his name because he doesn't know it, right? He's, he's created for Mando and Sabrina says his name is Chad Corey Dillon. So we're going to call him Chad from now on. Chad realizes that he can actually dance at the dance And he's super excited about it because I made the dance. Quite literally was. Then finally we have Libby and Harvey coming in. So we have that uncomfortable situation. Libby gets jealous that Sabrina has a date who's super handsome and good looking and he can dance, etc. And then ultimately she basically is trying to go Harvey into a dance off as as if one person dancing is somehow going to elevate them above the other person.
4: Come on, Harvey. Let's hit the floor.
1: Actually, Libby, I don't dance.
4: Excuse me? This is a dance. Guess what we do here?
1: Well, see, for me, dance is sort of a metaphor. Sasha and Libby then go to the ladies' room to complain about this idea, this concept that Harvey refuses to dance, and Sabrina is sad seeing Harvey here with Libby.
0: And I would add that it seems like Sabrina feels awkward that she's there with another guy. Because she's there with Chad, Harvey's sitting over there in the corner, they kind of look at each other. There's a moment where they look at each other across the dance floor. And it looks like they kind of commiserate a little bit, and like, they both know that they'd rather be with each other, but they're both there with other people. So, nicely shot. I think, that reaction between the two of them. So
1: (laughs) Harvey says a dance is like a metaphor. Like, we talked about it a little bit. Like, how were dances for you?
0: Well, like I said, I went to one of them when I was in high school. And it was a winter-themed dance. And, you know, it wasn't really much of, you know, I didn't dance there either. Uh, I was like Harvey, didn't dance. The person I went with, we weren't really a couple. It was just a situation of... Our friends were going to the dance, so we went together. And, you know, it was fine, but it was, you know, we ate food, talked with our friends at the table. Some people danced, some didn't. And, you know, I'm like Harvey in the sense that, yeah, a dance is a metaphor. Some people dance, other people just hang out, and they eat the food, they talk. That's where I'm comfortable. Did you hit the dance floor?
1: Yeah, occasionally I would, but not, I was never good at it, you know. it's It was such a random ritual for me. I remember in grade school I was a wallflower kind of just sitting there, and basically it was like you had the nerds sitting in the corner, and you know the the cool guys were all in the middle and dancing with the girls and everything. But yeah, I tried to stay as much to the side as I could unless the situation called for it. I will say with regard to dancing, I want to go back to that homecoming that I, I said I couldn't say no to people, right? And so the one dance I went to in high school was a homecoming that I was invited to that I couldn't say no to because I didn't want the uncomfortableness right here, Sasha and Libby, they go to the bathroom, like in the middle of the dance, they just go and leave for whatever reason. This happened to me too. Like my, the person that took me to their homecoming with her friend, they just went to the restroom and it was an exorbitant amount of time. It was like half an hour, three separate times throughout the dance with her best friend, and I was just left there. This is not my dance. I know nobody here. And they just left. I don't know if they were like gossiping or talking or doing makeup or whatever whatever they were doing. But I was just left there. And I remember just sitting there like, I'm at your dance. Like, you like me. And yet I'm just chilling here in the middle of a dance floor. I know nobody like, what am I supposed to do? And so I was like, is this a thing that girls do? They just like leave and go to the the restroom for long periods of time because it was weird because I I was like, that happened to me too. And I I assume they wrote the episode based on common experiences, right? Because what the heck? But yeah, that happened to me, oddly enough. And nice girl, I'm sure. But I felt that was a little bit rude to just like leave me sitting there doing nothing.
0: Yeah, it's extremely rude. Are you kidding me? I mean, like, you're just there with nobody? I mean, that would be the worst. I mean, imagine how boring and, like, awkward that must have been. I mean, I don't know. I Yeah, that's not acceptable. I know the trope of girls going to the bathroom together is, like, a thing that you see in a lot of media, and so maybe it is based on reality. It has to be. Like you said, I bet that this was written
1: from experience. So we leave the dance floor, and we go to the ants. Now they've made Sabrina her dream date and they decide to do one themselves. So they're each in the process now of making their own dream dates. So first we have Hilda and and she's trying to make her dream date and she wants him to be hopeful. That was one of her ingredients, but, and it's interesting because it's like an actual ingredient. So hopeful is, it's like a spice or, you know, whatever, but Unfortunately,
3: something must have gone wrong. Did you check the expiration date on the optimism? Oh no. It says hope fades, which means (laughs) my dream date is hopeless.
1: He comes out and he's not hopeful. He's hopeless. And here comes Biff. Biff from back to the future comes out and in all his glory. And he's just despondent. He comes out upset about work. Hi, I'm Hilda. Would you get off my back? I've been looking for work.
2: Stop riding me.
1: He's clearly like an out of work, bitter husband type guy. And he's like, I want to go watch football. So he goes and watches football. Hilda makes a joke with Zelda about hanging out with him to change him. Pretending that she could somehow make him love her or whatever by being interested in sports. And then we cut to Zelda, her ideal man. Her dream date is a brave, milk-swilling fireman. Oh, hello, kitten. Got milk? What? <laughs> oh, sorry. Thought you were talking to me. And then Salem pops out of the basket, and he realizes what's going on, and he, and he, like, crawls back in.
0: that's one of the best jokes in the whole episode I took Hilda's statement where she says maybe I can change him I think she was serious because Zelda says that never works to me this is a callback to Hilda's other messed up relationships that we've seen with Drell and then with The guy in the ring. So I I thought that was a fun kind of element there. And yeah, Zelda's date, he looks like one of these guys from like those fireman calendars that they put out. But I love the milk attribute because it's such a random thing. And throughout the rest of the episode, he's just constantly chugging milk. I can't imagine what that was like for the guy that was actually in the scenes. Like, I wonder how many times... He was just drinking milk
1: throughout the whole episode. Is that what milk swilling meant? Like, I I didn't know what that meant.
0: I think that milk swilling was kind of like a euphemism for like a real manly man that like does lots of like work and labor and he's like really tough and he swills down milk because he like is constantly working. So I think she wanted him to be like real masculine, but it, it became literal. In the sense that he was just drinking milk all the time. I think it was meant to be a little bit of a haywire type of thing.
1: Yeah, especially with this episode. Like, milk is so prominent. And coming from the pilot, milk was prominent there, too. Like, Salem drinking his milk. It's literally the last scene in the episode is... Sabrina filling the glass up with milk for Salem to share. So it's like milk is this huge theme in the show. Based on these two episodes, you would think they must be owned by some kind of milk company, but it's like milk's a, a clear theme here. So we cut to the dance and Sabrina's with her date and she gets tired of dancing. Again, the common theme here is that her date is so enthusiastic about the dance. He just can't stop. So he's excited. He just wants to jam all day. He doesn't stop. Sabrina then goes and talks to Harvey, who's there. He was there with Libby, and Harvey explains why he doesn't like to dance. Well, I'm okay when it's just me rocking out in my room, but I get really self-conscious in front of other people. He then says that Sabrina looks nice. Chad then comes and grabs Sabrina away from Harvey to dance more.
0: One thing that we learn in this scene, it's a very brief scene, is that Harvey's middle name is Dwight. Harvey Dwight Kinkle.
1: I want to talk a little bit about Harvey and his nervousness. Like, I think that's a legit fear. I I think it's kind of a weird societal thing that dancing is this acceptable thing. That's just like, you're supposed to be able to dance. It's a legit skill that's required. And I've always felt nervous dancing because at at a dance, there's always one or two people that are just like super good. They practice, they know certain things and they have the dance circle and, and they're taking the show away. But that's like every dance is the same thing. It's a legit skill. Like you have to practice it and work hard at it. And yet it's just a normal, acceptable thing you're supposed to do for societal acceptance. It just seems very random to me. And I was so nervous about dancing. Like my first dance at my wedding, which of course <laughs> you would know about, but I just did a I just did a slow dance. I just did a an old school, like we're just holding each other and swaying back and forth dance. Cause I don't want that fear and worry about people judging me. I, I'm not going to be doing backflips. I'm not going to be doing, you know, swing dancing or anything legit, but I, I, I agree with Harvey here that it's like a societal thing, but to master it and impress people, like you've got to actually work at it. And yet it's expected that you're just supposed to dance at a dance. And, and that's just a normal thing to do. Like I, I just, you know, I'll stand by myself and sway a little bit, but I don't like the idea that dancing is this normalized thing that you're just supposed to be good at doing. And if you do it, you're so much better than somebody else because it's hard. It's hard to do and you have to work at it.
0: I couldn't agree more. Dancing makes me extremely nervous. Like very, it ruins events that you have to do that because then you're just thinking about it the whole time. Now, what I will say is that I'm okay with slow dances like you did. Um, I like that. That's fine. Like, you know, it's nice. You're with your wife, you, know, you slow dance. I'll do a slow dance. But any type of faster, up-tempo dance where it requires skill, that, that is not my scene. And I do not go anywhere near those for the most part. For our wedding, I mean, I did learn a simple dance. It, it's like a couple steps. Like, you basically hold the person. And you learn a couple footsteps that you just repeat over and over again. And that was fine. I could do that, but at least that was structured. I don't like it when everyone's totally cutting loose and cause I just can't do that. I just, I do not cut loose. It is not a thing that I'm capable of. So that's always really um, difficult. I don't like that
1: at all. Well, the last time I was in, I was in like a groomsmen party, it was accepted that we were gonna enter the banquet hall with a dance and had no prep at all. I was mortified. I have no prep dance. I don't even know this girl. And I'm supposed to come in with a dance. And of course, everyone's judging you. The entire banquet hall is judging you. And yeah, if you're good at dancing, you could come in and and do some cool moves. And everyone's like, "Hoo holler. And I'm like, I can't dance. I mean, can you imagine? It's just such a random skill. You wouldn't do it for anything else. It's not like you're coming in like, oh, here's a basket, you know, shoot a three point shot. Fine. I'll do that. You know? And then, (laughs) but why, why do you have this like test of skill to begin an event that you have no idea if someone's good at?
0: It's incredibly tone deaf to expect people to just do something like that. That's why I don't, I'm not a fan of doing things for the sake of societal acceptance. Like I will refuse to do things or not do stuff that like most people would just because you are expected to. If that was me in that situation, I would probably have like said to the groom, I can't do that. I just can't. It's not a thing I'm capable <laughs> I of. I
1: will say thank you for not making me do that for your wedding. Thank you for that. Because oof, I that was, that was horrifying. And yeah, I just did like a generic pump my fist type thing, but yeah, I know I have no dance moves. So it's like, I'm at a blank here. No,
0: I mean, I I get it. My whole goal the whole way through my entire wedding was to just make everything as as laid back as it can be in a wedding situation. Because, you know, that's... Why would you want to add stress to a thing where you already have so much going on? It just seems... um, I guess to some people, dancing isn't stressful. But to me, it is. So, yeah, definitely um,
1: I'm with you all, all on that point. I think a lot of, of a wedding is performative and I think people care about what that wedding video looks like and they want to have the most performative wedding possible. Whereas you and I, we don't care about that as much. The point of the wedding is to be married, right? I mean, I I think even for you, like I know for me, even like having the feast and the speeches is too much. To me, that was that was extreme. Whereas if we're there to just get married, that's what I care about. And you've got this performative aspect, bringing in the family, which I get is traditional. You don't want to offend anybody, but at the same time, it all of that performative aspect to me chips away at why we're there. Whereas I think for some people, that's maybe part of why they're there, right? They love that aspect of it where it's going to look good on social media. It's going to look good on Facebook. Look how happy people are. Look how cool this celebration was. I just don't have an ounce of that idea that that emotion, that personality in my body. There's not an ounce of it.
0: I echo everything that you just said and I think that you're objectively doing things for the wrong reasons if that's what you're concerned about. A lot of times people just get married just to to do it and to have that experience of the day, I suppose, but for me the day is just the first day in a long line of days where you're married to the to the person and, and so i don't get putting all of that performance and unnecessary uh, ritual into the thing ours was a relatively small wedding it, we had about 100 people and that was something that i could deal with that was good enough you know that was something that was not overwhelming for me but some people they have hundreds of guests. I don't know how you keep
1: track of everybody. It's, it's wild. You don't, you don't. And oh gosh, it's, it's like kind of, it's funny and weird at the same time. But basically I gave, I gave a speech to everybody and I was so thankful that they made it because it was a big trip and I was excited. But basically I was like, (laughs) and I can't believe I said this, but I, I had to make it again. I had to make it up on the spot. I was like, a lot of you, I don't even know (laughs) but I'm glad you're here. You know, that really stuck with people. Like, I can't believe you said you didn't know the people at your own wedding, but I didn't, I mean, I didn't know half of them.
0: No, it's true. I mean, I I, honestly, I didn't even think twice about that. I, uh, cause that's something that I probably would have said if I was in that situation. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It seems fine to me. Well, that's why we're friends.
1: All right. So from the dance, we go back to the house with the ants and we cut to Hilda here Um, I'm going to call him as Biff. Again, this is Hilda's date, the hopeless date. And Biff's angry with the refs. He's yelling at the screen as any football fan understands. That's what you do. And Hilda tries to get him to share his feelings with her.
3: What are you thinking? That ref's a jerk! (laughs) You know, we could talk while we watch sports. I mean, relationships are built on communication. Why don't you share your feelings?
1: why don't you share the chips so he is completely emotionless some would say hopeless which again is a very perfect title for him we then cut to zelda with the firefighter her date Uh, he's drinking milk not surprising and she is impressed with the amount of milk that he can drink
3: i've never seen a man drink so much milk
1: oh i like milk we then cut to the dance and we're with Libby being mad at Harvey.
4: I don't understand why you didn't just say no when I asked you to this dance.
1: I told you, I'm working on it. That's Harvey's character flaw, right? He can't say no. Sabrina then is faced with a slow dance with Chad, and you had mentioned it before where where she kind of feels weird. She doesn't want to do it because she just doesn't feel like it's appropriate to have a slow dance with Chad. So Libby and Chad end up, getting together and kind of hitting it off a little bit here that maybe they might work out together. Sabrina then decides to cast the spell on Harvey to make him dance great. And there's a funny scene with him basically doing some professional it's it's a combination of a variety of dances. Everything I, you know, I saw some Irish dancing, some river dancing, some salsa, a little bit of everything here, but he's this great dancer. And Libby comes in and she is so excited about Harvey being the, again, we talked about dancing being the socialized acceptable form of you know setting yourself apart so harvey being a good dancer means he must be the guy you want to be with libby wants to be with him eventually sabrina just says listen i, I chad I, I don't feel right being here and then she goes looking for harvey harvey's outside he's left the dance and harvey wonders but shouldn't you be inside with what's his name what's his name what's his name
4: <laughs> nah, he's not really my type
1: what perfect isn't your type So that kind of hits a little bit there. Sabrina begins to tell Harvey.
4: Actually, Harvey, I wanted to talk to you about that. But it's kind of hard for me. What do you mean? Well, the thing is, I... See...
1: Sabrina, what is it? Freeze. Except, except she decides before getting into the meat of what she wants to say, she freezes him. She stops him in his tracks so he can't actually hear. And then we get this little monologue from Sabrina.
4: I mean, I think it's great that we're friends, but sometimes I wish it were more. I like you, Harvey. I like you a lot. But I guess for now, this is the closest I can get to saying it to your face.
1: She then unfreezes Harvey and says that Chad wasn't perfect because he has one arm shorter than the other
0: so in the scene where harvey dances and libby gets excited harvey does say no to her
4: i want to dance with you now (laughs) sorry libby
2: but you said i could leave if
0: i wanted to
4: i take it back you have to dance with me libby no
0: so there's a little bit of character development there another thing is uh in that same scene Harvey is about to tell her why he doesn't dance. He says, look, I don't tell many people this. And then Libby just, like, ignores what he's saying and just totally blows it. She totally ignores him, and she had this chance to have him open up to her, and she just totally doesn't even register that it's about to happen. Outside... It's really a shame that Sabrina decides to freeze Harvey. But that's a good, I think, thing with writing to sort of string along the idea of them getting together. Because, you know, we hear Sabrina's whole monologue and so we know exactly how she feels. But now Harvey still has no idea. He references getting out of there, leaving the dance and saying we should go to the slicery and play some foosball. So the Slicery is a pizza place that they stop in at. And the Foosball is a reference back to how Sabrina let him win. Once again, clever marks for writing. Speaking of
1: Foosball, did you ever play Foosball?
0: A couple of times here and there, but not... No, not. I wouldn't say I played it like I've I've never really been uh, been an avid fan. They had a foosball table in one of our common areas in college, as
1: I recall. But
0: more often than not, we would hit the pool table. So,
1: yeah, I was going to ask you, because in that game, it's like you're hitting a ball with these little men. There's really two ways to play. You either like spin massively over and over again. And then you're like slamming the balls or you like do a controlled twist with your wrist. So I was going to ask you, like, what your rules were. I, I'm a twister. I'm not a spinning guy. 100%. I think, if, if I, I think I, spinning involves no skill. Spinning is... Turning the...
0: No, spinning is no good, man. That's like, spinning is like, you're just spamming. Like, if you're playing a game and you're spamming the same move over and over again, like you're playing a fighting game, like Street Fighter or something, and it's really cheap, and there's no skill... The few times that I have played, I yeah, I would do a twist. I would try to actually line up, where's the ball, where are my players? You know, because that's how you're supposed to play, let's be honest. The the spinning is, in my opinion, kind of a jerk move, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, it's like button mashing in Mortal Kombat or something. You're just like, I'm going to punch you, punch you. It's like, come on, you got to at least try to do the moves, try to be legit. This is technically a, a soccer game. So let's try to pretend that we're playing the game of soccer instead of whatever the you know, whatever the spinning is because spinning, you can't even follow the ball. It just it knocks it in random directions and it's so fast, you have no idea what's going on. And it's basically like who can spin faster versus you know who can time the player movements better. So we're in the same spot here. We're outside the dance. And then Harvey asks Sabrina to dance before Sabrina goes back in. And Sabrina says, Won't you feel (laughs) self-conscious? Just us. That that gave me chills. I mean, that was so romantic. And then, yeah, Harvey, like, he just, he breaks his awkwardness and does this romantic slow dance with Sabrina outside the actual dance. So a guy who's against dancing, who sees dancing as a metaphor, is nevertheless having a, like, legit dance with Sabrina. And he's got some skills here. And he even does a dip at the end, which is a very difficult thing to do. (laughs) But he even does that. And eventually, you know, Harvey breaks the awkwardness, I guess, of the dance and the fact that they're getting romantic with each other. And he's like, hey, you know, you want to go play? It's like you mentioned, you want to go play foosball. And then Sabrina agrees, you know, she'll go and, and play with him. But first she wants to tell Chad that she's leaving. She feels an obligation to him because that is her date. And then as Sabrina goes into the dance hall, Harvey's alone outside again. And then he says, I like you, Sabrina. Why can't I say it to her face? So it's like a music video here. Very emotional scene.
0: Yeah. Great scene. You can, we have the dichotomy well, it's not a dichotomy. It's a similarity of how Sabrina can't say it to Harvey's face. She does it when he's frozen. Harvey says how, how he feels when Sabrina's gone inside and he's alone. So now we know for sure both of their inner thoughts. And again, I think this is the writing at play. They wanted the audience to know they're both into each other. And now we're going to play that game that we often play on sitcoms of will they, won't they? When are they going to get together? When's it going to happen? And so we've sort of set the stage for that.
1: The highlight of the scene, obviously, is that dance it's so powerful. You know, they've established Harvey's fear and his nervousness of dancing. And yet here he is with Sabrina and doesn't even think of it. And, you know, that's that's what attracted me to my wife. And just the idea that you can just be yourself without worry, without fear. And so Harvey's biggest insecurity with Sabrina is not an insecurity anymore. And he can just be himself. And that's that friendship, right? But also what you would seek in a in a partner. Sabrina goes inside. Again, Harvey has declared his emotions, but Sabrina does want to let Chad know, hey, I'm I'm leaving with Harvey to go play some foosball. Sabrina actually asks Chad if she can do that. And then Chad says, hey, well, who do you want to be with? Harvey? It's an excellent choice. He's a great guy.
4: You really are a dream date, Chad.
1: It's just funny because he's so enthusiastic about everything. He has no negative vibe in his body. So he's just super enthusiastic about everything. As an alternative, then Sabrina hooks him up with Libby. And then Chad says, hey, I actually like her. So, you know, we had an earlier interaction with Libby and Chad. They kind of connected a little bit, as I mentioned. Here, they're actually now dates. Sabrina is kind of shocked by this because it's Libby, right? I mean, how could anybody like Libby? And then Chad funnily says, sorry, I guess I'm I'm starting to go bad, (laughs) right? Because Libby's the bad character and Chad is made of dough. So he has an expiration time. So it's kind of a, again, a a really cool written scene here. Eventually then Sabrina and Harvey head out together. We cut back to Aunt Hilda. She has now learned the game of football with Biff (laughs) and she starts saying things. To demonstrate that she knows the game of football.
3: So if you live by the pass, you die by the pass. They kept the ball on the ground and they were able to convert in the red
2: zone.
1: You know, I can't hear Pat Summerall while you're yapping. So this guy truly is hopeless. She gets fed up and leaves. And then (laughs) does so to grab a rolling pin. We then cut to Aunt Zelda, who has this firefighter date. He got dressed in 19 seconds. She had timed him. How long it took him to get his uniform, and it kind of implies maybe he wasn't wearing his uniform at a point. Zelda, Zelda turns to him and asks him to teach him the Heimlich, but instead of the Heimlich, he goes for a drink of milk. Hilda has eventually flattened Biff into dough, when she comes into the scene here. She uses the rolling pin to turn him into dough, throws him in the trash. Hilda then, having lost her date, demands that they share the firefighter, and they're kind of fighting over him.
3: I made him let go. I won't.
2: Let's
1: go! Let's go! And they end up tearing his arm off. And the only words he can say is, oh.
2: My milk!
1: Since the milk got spilled. We then cut back to the dance with Libby and Chad. Chad's, he starts coughing. What comes out of his mouth is flour. So his, his four-hour expiration date is coming. And so he's, he's scrounging around looking for, he says preservative. So he's trying to keep himself going because he only has the four hour limit, but he's, he's falling apart here. Libby ends up following him and goes outside and she can't find him. He's, he's disappeared. And yet she finds herself stepping on doe, which we know is Chad, right? Chad has dissipated. His four hours is up and he is, he is nothing but doe. And it's funny at, at the very end, you, you can see his face in a in the dough and he basically has maintained his enthusiasm. He's like I love this song. He's still super pumped despite being in dough. And then we end up with the credits and the post-credit scene where Libby is calling a missing person report for Chad.
4: Okay, I'd like to report a missing person. Chad Corey Dillon. Well, he's really tall and he's really cute. (laughs) He was last seen dancing with me. Everyone was looking. It was so cool. (laughs) What? Uh, Well, he's only been gone 20 minutes, but I thought... No, I will not wait 24 hours. Don't you people realize this is the love of my life?
1: Who's been gone 20 minutes, and the police basically say, listen, he hasn't been gone for 24 hours, so we can't do anything about it. And that ends our episode.
0: That ending is great, the scene with Libby on the phone, because she's like so hysterical about it, and it it's literally been twenty minutes, and so she's clearly fallen for Chad, but I love the the tone of the whole conversation. And the 24 hours thing just reminds me of a true crime story waiting to happen, you know, an unsolved mysteries perhaps. Where where is this man? Where is Chad? So, you know, maybe that's what happens later, but we don't know. Uh, regarding ants, uh, you know, lots of good humor there. I mean, there's, you know, it, you kind of have to see it. A lot of it is visual humor, how they're playing with the fact of these guys being made of dough, the arm coming off, and, and the rolling pin, the idea that Hilda beat her date back into dough. I mean, the whole thing is great, really great concept in general. So strong ending just like these end credit scenes they really hit it with these end credit scenes really good stuff
1: I will say I hear Chad is missing to this day so if you've if you've seen him be sure to call the police
0: if you have any information make sure to call this number
1: put in the unsolved Mysteries voiceover dude yeah
0: actually that'd be great join me next time for another edition of
1: unsolved Mysteries So in terms of rating this episode, I gave it an 8.8. I think that's, I like it a little bit better than the pilot. I think, again, the pilot had some limitations based on the fact that it had to establish certain things that were hard to work around. Different facts, origin stories, stuff like that. Here we have everything established so they can really focus on... The thematic elements on how they can work the magic into comedy. And so, this episode, they can really focus on using the magic by creating the perfect dream date. And they don't have to talk about, hey, how are they using the magic? Where does the magic come from? Any of that stuff. They can just focus solely on the theme they're going for. And I love the idea of creating the, the dream date because it, again, it set me off thinking about what, you know, our dream dates and how they would play out again. The idea of, to me, it it really brought me back to like wishes and thinking about how this could backfire. And it did with, with Hilda and a little bit with Zelda. And I really liked the interactions with Harvey and Sabrina. It's such a tease with their love. And I, I just imagine this continues for like the next six seasons into a culmination of some sort. Which is kind of bothering to me, but at least they've fleshed out their fears and trepidations a lot more. You know, they're, this is Harvey's first admittance we've seen that he likes her. and so we kind of know where they're at. But you can at least understand the trepidation and the fears and the anxieties they have. So I think I think the episode did a brilliant job of the relationships and using the magic in a way to create a theme around that was so well done.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree with a lot of that. I mean, very relatable episode. For this one, you know, the IMDB is 7.7. Again, a criminal score. I rated this the same as the pilot. I gave it an 8.5. Really solid episode. I liked the fact that some of it was more well-established. It flowed a little bit better. But I actually like some of the backstory, some of the seeing more of the of the witch's world like the council the message and the toaster sort of getting the um the vibe of you know the book with her dad in it from the pilot i like that stuff because it was it was nodding more toward like the wizardry of the world if you will this one was very grounded in her life at the school and the date and what was happening with that and so it was a really good story. The the characters really all had their own unique little side plots and storylines that I think were really good. So, you know, the first one I'm a little bit more nostalgic for because I have more clear memories of it. So overall, yeah, I'm going to give them the same score. But, you know, they're both very good episodes, and I feel like there's probably some other gems in the catalog that we don't even know about.
1: Yeah, I think we'll be doing another episode of this, not shortly, but in the future. I I could definitely see this as being one we we put in uh, in the catalog because I I love the episodes.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that this is one that we could recur for sure. Um, The problem is, you know, with the podcast that we have so many different topics. And so We have different types of recurring episodes. We have the recurring Are You Afraid of the Dark series. We would like to do more with the Harry Potter series that we started with the first uh, movie of that. We have the Choose Your Own Adventure series. And so now we throw Sabrina into the mix. It might be a little bit, but we're going to try to come back to it in a somewhat timely manner. Follow us on Instagram at the Nostalgic Millennial Podcast and Twitter at the Nostalgic MP. And don't forget to send your comments and questions, which may be featured on a future episode. Until next time, when we return to the 1990s.